Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to start the week by breaking down everything that happened in the world of WWE over the last couple of days. We'll be talking SmackDown Raw news and notes if it happened in the world of WWE. You will hear it right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We're not going to waste any time getting into today's show. We have a ton to talk about off the top all the way through the last word our final segment. So let's remind you right here that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about the five. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. You can also leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. We're at 399 reviews, folks. We need one more for that magical 400 number that, by the way, we were trying to hit back in WrestleMania season, but we're one review away. You can be that special 400th review. Just go ahead and leave it on Apple Podcasts. And I should also note, if you've left reviews, because our number has gone up recently, uh, but we haven't read as many on the air. Sometimes if you're in Europe, Australia, another country, and you leave a review, it doesn't show up on the American iTunes. So let me know. You can DM us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. You can email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Let us know you wrote a review and it wasn't read on air. Tell us what country you're from. I'll go find it. And of course, I will read it on air. As I mentioned, we are on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Do not forget to follow us. Also, one other thing that you need to know before this show gets started. I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, you can become an official getting overhead for only $5 a month. You get bonus audio, news posts, and more importantly than all of that, your $5 a month goes to support the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and our continued existence. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Chris, we have a ton to talk about in the world of WWE this week. No Roman Reigns, but nevertheless, the bloodline story continued without halt or without pause, I, I will say, on SmackDown. And I got to say, despite not having Reigns on a Friday night, I thought it was easily the best SmackDown of the last month and maybe beyond that. Now, you know, we note every week, of course, that the bloodline segment is fantastic, but If you were to remove that from SmackDown and look at the rest of the show, it's really fallen off over the last four or five, six weeks. But this week, it contained, or I should say retained, my enjoyment from start to finish. We got one great in-ring segment, another very good one, an LA Knight in-arena promo, two fantastic matches. I had just gotten off vacation, and other than taking a nap, literally the first thing I did after getting home was watch SmackDown live. And man, in that like circumstance, you are tired. You probably aren't in the mood to watch two hours of wrestling. For me, it was time well spent. Just a completely cohesive and entertaining show. And then meanwhile, we go over to Monday. Even though I thought last week's Raw was a bit of a filler, this week didn't feel that much different. The top storyline was done and complete in the opening segment, never revisited later. The Judgment Day story 
it did last the entire show more focused on Rhea Ripley. It wasn't as enthralling as it was a week ago. And while there were some good and important matches with plenty of entertainment, it just feels to me right now, like when we're looking at the Raw side of things, the top three matches for SummerSlam, they're all rematches. None of them even have stipulations as of right now to differentiate them from matches that we've already seen. So it comes across like WWE is trying to extend multiple stories that have mostly already been told, and they're trying to do that simultaneously all on one show. Point being, I've said that Raw has clearly been better than SmackDown for at least a month, if not longer. This week, they were at least equal, and perhaps I'd even consider saying SmackDown was the better show. But there was nothing wrong with Raw on Monday either. It just remains so consistent on Monday that it's tough to differentiate one week from the next, whereas SmackDown for me stood out this week. Yeah, SmackDown was was good. We, we've said, you know, a number of weeks sometimes it's a, a bloodline story takes up a lot of the show and the rest is kind of whatever. This most recent episode, they filled everything else out in a very good way. They built up the show to the women's title match in the main event, made it feel like a big deal, kept coming back to it, doing doing stuff throughout the show. Um, you got Jey Uso obviously on top of that. So it was a much better SmackDown top to bottom, mm-hmm. I think. And then Raw, Raw wasn't a, it wasn't a filler episode. It, it, it felt like a transition mm-hmm. episode. We finalized some matches. We got some new uh, tag champs. We had a couple title matches. So you're right. It does feel like, Raw has kind of done everything it can. We just have to get to SummerSlam now, but we still have a few weeks until SummerSlam. Yeah, it feels like they wanted to set up the matches and then maybe come back with stipulations. But it's weird. You know, you have, you know, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor happening again. No stipulation. Maybe Damian Priest should be barred from ringside. I know he has the briefcase, but you need to do something to make sure it's different than last time. You have uh, Brock Lesnar, Cody Rhodes 3 being announced. No stipulation. Now, that can come next week, and maybe that's what they're trying to do is give us a little bit drips and drabs here and there. That way we have a reason to be interested in the storyline with each progressing week. But again, at the same time, on this episode, which is all we can really talk about right now, it was just like, match you've already seen? Okay, that's booked again. Match you've already seen? Okay, that's booked again. And I'm not disliking that because they're all high-quality matches. But when it comes to SummerSlam, just like when it comes to WrestleMania, You don't really want a card of rematches. You want fresh one-off matches that you haven't seen before, or at least you haven't seen in that same style. So when we're talking about Brock and Cody, a stipulation, right? Hell in a cell, Um, you know, something different, a weapons match, you know, whatever the case might be, getting it to that next level. Now, we still have time. This is not the ultimate preview episode. Um, There's still multiple weeks left before SummerSlam. It just felt like Raw on Monday gave us a lot of what we already knew was happening and not much from a standpoint of new developments. Although we did get some new developments in the women's division, which we will talk about. Also, before we get into any of that, I'm always quick on this podcast, Chris, to call out bad crowds, right? And I'm also sometimes slow to praise good ones. I'm not going to be slow today because Atlanta on Monday night, you should be really proud of yourselves. Like, That was a top-tier American wrestling crowd right there, on par with what we get from cities like Chicago and New York, and others, of course, as well. Atlanta, on Monday, helped every single segment 
get over more than it otherwise would have, perhaps, in many other cities that WWE visits across the country. Atlanta, you should give yourself a Barry Horowitz. Good for you. Yeah, no good crowd. Obviously, Cody being the hometown guy, opening with him, doing that like they did in Savannah a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, definitely a good crowd from Atlanta. Shout out to them. Now, we do have three segments on the show, as always, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word. But there was one thing that kind of bothered me coming out of Raw on Monday. I just wanted to get your take on it. So they started airing the individual match promo packages for SummerSlam. You know, the match cards, you see the pictures of the guys. They played the official song of the show and the whole deal. And the the look of it's fantastic. We've talked about WWE uh, going to Detroit and doing the whole Motor City kind of aesthetic which is great rather than going the generic SummerSlam logo and all that type of stuff. So Detroit, right? Cars. Um, They're using Born to be Wild as the official track for SummerSlam. And I'm not sure about you, Chris, but I've always associated that song with motorcycles, not cars. And given this is Detroit, I don't know. I just feel like there's a million songs out there about cars and driving on the road and all that type of stuff. like. Remember Highway to Hell from 1998 SummerSlam? That was iconic. I feel Mm -hmm. like Shut Up and Drive. Like there's so many different songs that you could use. Born to be Wild to me is just ill-fitting. It doesn't feel like it's the right song for SummerSlam. Shut Up and Drive from Rihanna would be an amazing theme. Right. It'd be be incredible. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Like Steppenwolf, the band that did the song, they're uh, Canadian. Some of them are from L.A. So like it's not... There's not a Detroit connection there. Uh, so, yeah, I did notice that it did jump out because it is a song. But look, I, I'm, I'm sure it's a I'm, I'm curious what the licensing cost on that was, considering we often talk about AEW licensing songs and how much that costs. So, yeah, um, it's it's OK. The, the, the vibe is SummerSlam. They've like never figured out what the vibe is like. For a long time, it was summer's biggest party. There was that cool for the summer song <laughs> that I still mm-hmm. have in my head. Um, uh, so like it's they've never really figured out if it's like party or, or, or what. So it's fine. It's not the best, but uh, it is notable that they went out and got a older song as opposed to doing something new, which is kind of a change from what they've been doing. I do like that, but. Again, like like address my my exact statement. When you look, hear I'm that just, song, look, I'm just glad they're not doing a Kid Rock or Eminem. Song, no, me like too. Every single well, Eminem, no, no. To do. I, I'm definitely glad they're not doing a Kid Rock song. I, I would love it if they did an Eminem song. But Eminem, to my recollection, as someone who's a massive Eminem fan, doesn't really have songs about cars. And the one that does stick out that involves a car is not something you could ever <laughs> yeah. play. Uh, I don't think Stan would be a good. Uh, oh, no, Stan is not. Also, Stan is not the song I'm talking about. Well, actually, Stan is one of them, but Stan yeah. is not the song I'm talking about. Kid, Kid Rock, uh, WWE Hall of Famer, too, I think, right? Now, unfortunately, yes. One of many unfortunate WWE Hall of Famers. But back to my I, I'm still trying to ask you the question. When you hear Born to be Wild, am I correct that you think of motorcycles? Or is that just me? Is what I'm trying to I don't to know figure. if I think of motorcycles. I think of commercials. Like it's a song that's frequently used in a commercial. Okay. Maybe somebody is driving a motorcycle and it's like a it's like a medication, uh, a drug you can take right. or something like that. Well, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, These I, days, I think yeah. of it as a very commercialized song. It definitely is commercialized. There's no question about that. All right. Well, I'm curious if others believe um, or think of motorcycles when they hear it. I always have, always will. Uh, Maybe I'm off base and this is just a song about being on the road, but 
I, I, you know, I, it doesn't play that way to me. So I found it to be a weird choice. Nevertheless, to what your point, what you said, good that they picked a solid song in general rather than just leaning on Kid Rock or picking something that we've never heard before and trying to hammer it in there. So that is cool. All right, folks. You are you are right that the lyrics are a bit more motorcycle. When you read them, you think motorcycle more than car. Okay. It does talk about motor running on the highway and all kinds of stuff, but but it does feel like motorcycle. Like looking for adventure, whatever comes by. Like you're not looking for mm-hmm. adventure in a Chevy. You're, you know, you're looking for adventure on a Harley coming down the highway. Like that's, you know, with the hair in the wind and the leather jacket. Try, that's I'm the pulling up I the have. music video now and you're right. It is motorcycles. Okay. So there you go. I'm so at least I'm not crazy. Uh, it just, it bothers me <laughs> again. It's Detroit. It, you know, if, if it was any other location, then you would say, fine, born to be wild. Totally fine. But it's freaking Detroit. You're every piece of art that is for the show shows the chrome of exhaust and, you know, racing stripes. And it's very car centric. Um, so for it to be a motorcycle song, I just, I don't know who made that decision. It, it bothers me. And I know Triple H loves music. So you would think that he'd be on top of those things. He chose all those NXT songs for the takeovers back in the day. So I would think he'd be more on top of it. But all right. Uh, just a, a little miss. Look, some some weird misses for WWE this week. For me, Born to be Wild is one. Another um, the bottom third graphic that they had for Cody Rhodes' mother, Michelle, uh, not knowing when to where to put an apostrophe, proper uh, grammatical style. Uh, they're they're messing up some of these little minor details here, but we are going to talk the major details from WWE this week, SmackDown, Raw, all of it. We have three segments coming up, and we begin as we always do right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event, and we're actually going to go with a double main event this week for the first time. It feels like at least in a while. We're going to kick things off as always with the Bloodline story. Continuing this week, Chris, without Roman Reigns. So Jay opened hour two of SmackDown commentary announced earlier that Jimmy Uso was diagnosed with ruptured rib cartilage and will be out of action for the foreseeable future. So this is supposed to be a two to three month injury. I always look it up now because WWE isn't exactly um, honest with the injuries they give and then the timeline for those people returning, as we saw with Cody Rhodes and his broken, I think it was radial bone in his wrist, arm, whatever the case. But obviously, even though it's a two to three month injury, uh, he'll be back, I'm sure, in one month's time at SummerSlam. Jay talked about his relationship as a twin with Jimmy, and he got really stupid what chance for the crowd. He's a baby face, and it happened for about 30 seconds just because of his promo style where he stops and then restarts and so on. Eventually, they stopped, which was positive. Jay went off really angry that Jimmy wasn't just hurt, but he was hurt by his own family. He said he respects everyone in the clan except Roman Reigns, and he was ready to spank Solo Sokoa. He said he's the real head of the table, the real tribal chief, and his name is main event Jay Uso. Straight up fire promo by Jay here. Uh, so he was interrupted uh, with Paul Heyman saying he and Solo were there peacefully. Heyman said there would be a face-to-face rules of engagement meeting with Roman next week. And I suppose that means Reigns has accepted the title challenge, but they're just coming up with the details. Paul said Jay is sounding more like a future tribal chief every day, but Jimmy being taken out was his fault for standing up to Roman. Heyman then spoke to Jimmy through the camera. Uh, Paul called himself his favorite Juso, which made me cackle almost nonstop. Then he spoke Samoan, saying Rikishi and the family will never forgive Jay. Solo then spoke extensively, I think for the first time, agreeing that Jimmy's blood is on Jay's hands, saying he'll never forgive him either. 
Jay took the first shot and beat up Solo. He stalked Paul in the corner. The crowd was red hot on fire here. Solo attacked, but Jay avoided Simone Spike. And then he super kicked Heyman cold to a huge pop. He followed with a tope suicida on Sokoa to end on top in the ring. Jay then grabbed a steel chair that was in the ring. He was going to use it on Heyman. Sokoa jumped in and he ate a shot in the back with Jay leaving the entire segment as, you know, the champion of the segment. So look, last week we pointed out that Reigns was not advertised for SmackDown. And I assumed, incorrectly, that we would get one of those mediocre filler segments, filler episodes where not really much happens and just you're waiting for Reigns to get back. Well, shut my mouth because this was outstanding stuff. Other than the brief dumb what chance, which come on folks, we are so far past that these days. This was straight up hype from start to finish. Jay cut a nine out of 10 promo. Heyman cut a nine out of 10 promo. The crowd was hanging on every single word. They were on fire to see Jay beat up Paul. The super kick was super satisfying. It made complete storyline sense. The segment, it set the table for next week. And most importantly, Jay emerged from this looking like a legitimate main eventer. Now, if you watch this back and you look at how he carried himself, how he remained in the center of the ring the entire time, and he really won all three different phases of the segment, you see a guy who grew into a main event role before our eyes, and not just in name only, Chris. In some ways, due to the relatively like concise nature and complete focus of this segment, for me, in some ways, it was better than last week's Trial of the Tribal Chief, at least from an execution standpoint. Also, the Juso line from Heyman, that is an all-time line. If we had any relevance for that line on this show, I would cut it, I'd put it on the soundboard, and I'd play it in every episode. I just don't know when we would ever use it. So Heyman was incredible. Jay was incredible. Solo was great in his role. There's not much more you could want from this. Right. The purpose of this segment was to get a sense of Jay by himself. Jay as the singles guy, Jay without Roman, Jay without Jimmy. How can he handle a promo? How can he handle a back and forth in a segment that's around him? And he absolutely delivered everything. The, the what chants were annoying, but he did a great job of going with it. You know, like we've seen a lot of other wrestlers when they start getting whatted, they get off their cadence, they get off their game. They don't mm -hmm. know what to do. He leaned into it because, like you said, the Usos have done that before. And just went and it totally worked. Crowd was hot. You get Heyman with the, with the kick. I wasn't sure if they were going to do it because they teased it mm -hmm. at the beginning of the segment. And I didn't think they would. I didn't think they'd pay it off in that same segment. But they did. And it, it was great. And everything just it, it totally works. I keep wondering, you know, like Heyman mentions Rikishi. We've been wondering when more of the family is going to get involved. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we haven't gone back to. uh uh, the Wild Samoans, since Roman, you know, was was honored by them back in 2020. Um, you know, so I, I'm curious if, if you know, we have a couple weeks. Do we get a Rikishi appearance or something like that? I think that would really take this to another level. He's he's Jay's father. You know, it can, can really add a lot. But Jay on his own completely looks like a main event guy. And And you're right. It was better than the tribal court in the sense of it made Jay feel like the guy to fight Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. I, I for a bit, have been like, eh, I don't know if that's a SummerSlam main mm -hmm. event type of thing. But after Friday, 
totally feels like it. Yeah, I think that's the key point. They not only established him truly as a main event caliber performer, but they established that match as a main event caliber match beyond storyline. Just from mm-hmm. a, if you're looking at them as individuals, is this the match that you want to see? Yes, it is. And I want to see it main event the show. You know, we love Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. We love what they're doing in the women's division. Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar are massive stars. But this is the rightful main event for SummerSlam. And this segment succeeded in making that happen. And look, let's be fair. This segment doesn't happen without trial of the tribal chief last week. And this is what I keep saying about the storyline and all the people who have challenged Roman Reigns. You know, you don't get the Sami Zayn storyline if Drew McIntyre wins the title. You don't get the Cody Rhodes storyline if Sami Zayn wins the title. You're not getting this match for the title, obviously, if Cody Rhodes wins the title at WrestleMania. And the ratings keep going up. Um, The excitement for WWE, the response to these superstars is even higher in many ways than it was on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, obviously, Sami and Cody and Roman were getting huge pops, but nearly everyone in this company is getting over. It is wild. And the reaction that Jay got on Friday, and I'm forgetting where SmackDown was, Chris, if you could look it up at some point, that'd be great because that crowd was really, really, really good as well. Um, But they treated him, maybe not like he was Roman Reigns, but that he was a world champion caliber performer. And those are the reactions he got. Heyman was incredible. As I noted, Sokoa was really good as well. I do wonder when it comes into next week, what they're going to put together from a, quote, rules of engagement standpoint here. Like, I presume the idea is going to be to bar Jimmy and Solo Sokoa from ringside, or maybe to bar Solo Sokoa from ringside, thinking Jimmy won't be able to compete, at least for starters. But they could do something really interesting, where, like, if Reigns loses, he not only drops the title, but he must release Solo from his grasp. But if Jay Uso loses, then the Usos as a team must leave SmackDown. That would like create distance in the feud. It would allow Reigns to like focus on other challengers and move forward against Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles and all these guys mm-hmm. that we want him to fight that he needs to fight over the next eight months on the road to WrestleMania without having the Usos hovering around him every single week. So I don't know what they're going to come up with from rules of engagement, but I hope unlike trial of the tribal chief, it is not rules of engagement in name only. I want it to be something where they actually deliver something different than what we have seen from this storyline over the last three years. Did you ever watch uh, the Rules of Engagement, the the TV show? I did not. It was a good show. Patrick Warburton, uh, David Spade uh, was on from 2007 to 2013. Good show. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Rules of Engagement. I don't know. Maybe they give us a Viking Rules match, perhaps. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that. uh, Samoan Rules. By the way, SmackDown was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, um, right. Of course, because they did the, the whole Charlotte, they did the whole Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte Flair thing. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, I'm curious. Um, the idea of if Jay loses, the Usos have to leave SmackDown. I think is a great idea. Uh, like you said, to get Roman away from that because I don't know how the Bloodline story can go on for another eight months. Like, m- maybe they figure it out, but I, I think that'd be a nice clean break for a period of time. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm curious what it'll be. I'm intrigued and I'm interested to see what happens. And that's how you set up a segment for the next week. It is for sure. Now we still have another episode next week before we get to our ultimate preview of SummerSlam in two weeks. But 
I do think it's worth briefly discussing now whether Jay could or should be the one to beat Roman. Like, we don't have to go too deep on it, but here's my contention. I won't. <laughs> if they were going to pull the trigger, it doesn't feel like there was enough direct build, Jay, Roman, direct build in this version of the story, in this chapter, I should say, uh, or act of the story, to do it in three weeks. Like, obviously, we've had three years of build, but this just doesn't feel like the primary story for Roman. Even though Jay has always been the guy, we've talked about it. It started with him. In some ways, it needs to end with him. It doesn't need to end with him winning the title. If the change was to happen at SummerSlam, it would just somehow to me, Chris, feel sudden, like a sudden end to a story that still, again, at least for me, feels like it has a ways to go. Reigns has lost the Usos, but he hasn't lost Sokoa yet. He still has Heyman in his pocket. Could Jay beat Roman only for Reigns to win the title back in November, and then Cody Rhodes can still beat him at WrestleMania? Sure. It's just at this point, I don't see why you would end this reign before a tentpole WrestleMania 40 event. And I don't see why you would have Cody go through his story, what he's doing on Raw, only to beat Roman without being the one to end the record title reign. It should all be one and the same as far as I was concerned. And this is what I said earlier. I'll wrap it up. You know, Sami Zayn got to main event his hometown and he won the tag team titles at WrestleMania. Jay got the pinfall victory over Roman. He's going to get a main event match on the second biggest show of the year. Cody gets to main event two WrestleManias and end the record reign. Three stories, three legitimate consequential endings, all three guys elevated. I think Jay main eventing this show is enough. Yes, Jay is not winning at SummerSlam, but like you said, he has been elevated. He got the first pin over Roman Reigns in years. Uh, You know, this is something we talked about a couple weeks ago, but the first couple years of Roman's title reign, you could make the case that nobody was really elevated by him. That has completely changed since Triple H took over. You listed them all off. You could probably, you could include Drew McIntyre a bit, kind of, you know, getting the main event in Wales. People who have been in Roman's orbit are elevated now, and they are elevated when they leave him as well. And and, and so that is, uh, they're absolutely executing that um, in terms of the story, look, the story was Jay. Okay, the story for Sami Zayn was not winning the title for Roman. The story from Sami Zayn was realizing who your friends are. The story for Jay Uso is not winning the title. It's getting out from the shadow of your cousin and standing up for yourself. And he's done that, and he pinned him. And so, like he, he, these people have accomplished their larger goals that are not just winning the title, which is a weird thing to say, considering this is pro wrestling and it's a sport and you're supposed to win and stuff like that. But that's how good the story has been that all of these characters are are having real human interactions and emotions and situations and they're coming out of it, even if they don't win the title. That's why the story has been so good. And that's going to happen again. Jay is not going to win at SummerSlam. But the fact that I just said, He's going to main event SummerSlam and it feels like it should be the main event of SummerSlam Mm -hmm. is an absolute credit to Jay and to everybody who made this happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So let's move to the second part of this co-main event segment. And surprisingly, we're moving into the mid card here, although we are staying on SmackDown because they've begun a United States Championship Invitational. And they kept mentioning this 
Friday night, starting with a scheduled fatal four-way match. They said, there's a United States Championship Invitational, and here's a four-way match. And as the show progressed, they put up an ad for next week's SmackDown on FS1, promoting a second fatal four-way as part of a preview for that show. And I was wondering, Chris, I wanted to ask you off the top before we even discuss this. Were we supposed to inherently know what an invitational means? Because in this case, it's two fatal four-ways that are going to lead to a number one contendership match. And the winner of that, of course, will challenge for the title. Don't get me wrong. Triple H has used this format before. He's a fan of this format. A lot. He's done it. Yeah, I was going to say he's done it at least twice that I can remember in the last year. But I felt like this required more of an explanation, especially when they only announced the first match. Like commentary at any point during the show could have clarified this is the first of two fatal four ways that will determine a number one contender for the U.S. championship. They never said that. They never explained it. I thought it would have been cool if you had the four guys on one side of a bracket, the other four guys on another side of a bracket, something to show me what's happening here. Kind of like AEW is doing the blind eliminator tournament and they never really fully explained what it was and they never showed us a bracket because they just started inserting random teams and some not random teams wherever they felt like it to make the storyline work. Now here, clearly it was built out. They knew the two fatal four ways and they knew when the matches were happening, but they never explained it. Now, so here's my question. Am I dumb where I wanted explained to me as a viewer and everyone else fully understood as soon as they heard the word invitational? Or am I correct that they kind of skipped a step here? No, you're correct. Okay. I was confused because the first place I had seen it was the FS1 commercial. <laughs> they, they they had a commercial. They kept saying FS1 next week. The show's on FS1. Like they did a good job of telling us they the did. show's not on Fox. And within that, they're like, number one contender, LA Knight's in it. And I was like, oh, cool. But it was like separate from the show. They never explained how or why or, or anything. Uh, so no, you're right. I was a little confused by how this was set up and, and, and why. You know, they had Seamus cut a promo, you know, say, hey, I shouldn't need to, you know, mm -hmm. do this. But like, you're right. It would have been like if this is supposed to lead to a title change, like we expect, like hype it up at the beginning. Be like, hey, we got here are eight guys who are going to compete for the United States title over the they next want. two weeks. It's, right. It's a big deal. Like, yeah, just start with that again. Commentary could have could you could have done that in 10 to 15 seconds. Well, very that, surprised they didn't do it. That's the thing. They announced the match at the start of the show. They said Styles, Escobar, Grayson Waller and Butch will be fighting in the United States Championship Invitational. But they didn't say it's the first of two fatal four way matches that will determine right. a number one contender. That's that took less than five seconds for me to just say. And even on Twitter, when they initially announced the match, I know I'm maybe nitpicking. Some of you get annoyed when I do that. But even on Twitter, when they announced it, they're like, this match is happening on SmackDown. They said U.S. Championship Invitational, but they didn't say it was the first of two fatal four-way matches. Yeah, they they just said this match is happening. I thought to myself, how is L.A. Knight not in this? Exactly. Right. And, and then we obviously came to find out he will be, but initially... We found out via commercial for FS1. Via commercial. Right. Ex exactly. Okay. So let's get into... I just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page, or at least you and I are on the same page kind of coming into this. So that match, the first of two... Fatal four ways to determine a number one contendership for the U.S. championship was AJ Styles, Santos Escobar, Grayson Waller, and Butch. So Waller backstage, he was unsurprised he was getting the opportunity. He put himself over for swimming with Edge and getting the attention of The Rock, who talked about him on Twitter, but has ignored all of the bloodline drama. And I got to say, fair point by Waller right there. Like, 
He called him out perfectly that The Rock responded to his thing on Twitter, but all the shit that's happening with his entire family, apparently he has nothing to say about any of that. Now, usually, Chris, I would pay this no mind because The Rock responds to wrestlers all the time. It's actually really cool that he does it and helps them get over on social media. But yeah, considering the screen actors strike right now, I have this feeling, man, that there's at least an outside chance, a non-zero chance of maybe something happening in some form. Like you want to talk about truly strapping the rocket. You do the same confrontation that Waller had with John Cena at Money in the Bank. You do it with the rock at SummerSlam and rocket fully strapped. So here's my question for you. What's the percent chance that happens? Uh, much higher than zero. I right. had the same thought. Like it, it was, it's one thing to interact with the rock on Twitter. It's another to then bring it up on TV. Mm-hmm. And, and that you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to talk about it in this episode, but some people have one have questioned, Hey, are wrestlers part of SAG after or anything? No, there, there was obviously not a wrestler's union. They're not part of it. It's separate. So yes, uh, it's its own thing. So yes, the rock showing up at SummerSlam or something to like stay out there while nothing else is, is going on is uh, certainly a possibility. I'd say like one out of three, 33% chance. Okay, good. I was going to say 20, 20%. So also I, had, also I had missed this. I had missed this happening on Twitter. So when they mentioned it on the show, I went back and looked and I was like, oh, that was kind of cool that The Rock did that. And, and you know, it, it was a good deal. Definitely another acknowledgement of Waller. Yeah, there's definitely a non-zero chance this happens. And like, Because what's he doing now? You know, I mean, and by the way, he kind of needs positive publicity and momentum for him. Not that The Rock needs WWE. I don't don't mean to say it that way. He's obviously bigger than WWE, especially internationally. But it couldn't hurt for him to have some positive stories about him out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, we talked about that Shoot, a week or two ago. We we did The Rock's best roles and we said hey he's kind of on a cold streak right now and we wondered if he would come back to wwe to kind of get some positive attention again yeah that was last week by the way i know time is flying but that was indeed last Mm -hmm. week all right so let's talk about the match austin theory was on commentary there was a cool spot where styles and butch had arms locked back to back with waller rolling them over for a double pin attempt escobar took butch off the top rope with hurricane rana styles then caught him it may have been planned for a styles clash but there was way too much momentum and aj just fell into a pinning combination Styles and Butch then teamed up for a double superplex of Waller, but Escobar somehow climbed out of that because he was involved up there and then jumped over all of them off the top rope for a sunset flip triple powerbomb. Escobar hit the phantom driver on Waller, then a shotgun tope suicida only for Styles to extinguish a phantom driver attempt with a phenomenal forearm. As he was about to put Butch in Styles' clash, Karrion Cross was shown on the Titantron, wiping out the OC backstage. So Styles was ready to just give up his title opportunity before getting attacked from behind by Waller. Then he took out Butch with a rolling cutter, only for Escobar to fly in immediately after that move with that signature splash that he does for the win in 12 minutes. It felt somehow like there were, I don't know, 18 or 20 minutes of action jammed into this 12 minutes. This was a straight up banger. Styles picked up the boys and Meechin backstage, apparently she got attacked by Scarlet as well, and he agreed this is not over yet with Cross. Now, other than Styles stupidly walking out of the ring, I loathe when baby faces do that, unless it's a significant other or a family member. 
These are big boys. They can take care of themselves. They've already gotten their asses beat. You're involved in a number one contendership tournament. Get your number one contendership. Go check on them. Other than that, this was excellent. I had assumed Waller would win for the heel babyface dynamic, given who we anticipate winning the other four way. So Escobar coming out on top and pinning Waller, it definitely popped me, as you guys know how much I love Santos. But that said, I'm not sure Escobar over Waller was actually the right decision. He does need the elevation more. But again, with what we know is coming, I don't know that that made the most sense. I went 3.5 stars and a B plus for the match. One last note, Theory was straight up awful on commentary. Monotone, uninteresting, no personality. Michael Cole bodied his ass like three or four different times during this match. Something yes. was really off there. One of the one of the things Cole said to Austin Theory, uh, people were chanting, this is awesome. And Cole said, they haven't chanted, this is awesome in your matches. <laughs> yeah, they've never chanted that during any of your matches. Yeah, <laughs> he just killed them. It was unbelievable. I know. So like, I, I went into this thinking, all right, LA Knight's going to win the second one. Who is he going to beat to get there? And I thought Grayson Waller made all the sense in the world too, mm-hmm. because he's getting attention. You know, he could use another good win. LA Knight will get a ton of additional baby face heat against Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller will be a, a great heel. The two of them were great together in NXT mm-hmm. uh, with LA Knight as a face. Uh, and so I thought, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. With Santos Escobar, it feels like we know they love him and they're just not quite sure what to do with him. Right. You know, he he he's in the money in the bank, has a prominent role, uh, getting some notable wins on, on SmackDown and over the past month or two. But like he's not in a story, you know, Ray, they're just he's just kind of floating there. So it felt like to me like, hey. You know, let's get him a win. We can do babyface versus tweener babyface. People aren't going to be mad at Escobar going up against LA Knight because they fought a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, yeah. As well. So, um, yeah, I, I was surprised, but I, I, I good for Santos Escobar. I love him. I've said before, I think he's could be a giant star. Absolutely. It just felt like give him a win, maybe. I, I still think Waller would have made a lot more sense here. Yeah, Escobar, ha- and I've said this for years now, he has the chance to be that crossover Latin star that Alberto Del Rio wasn't, and Andrade really couldn't be because he didn't command the language mm-hmm. the same way that Escobar does. Yep. And he does have that chance, but you're right. You know, they seemingly elevated him by putting him with Rey Mysterio and doing the LWO instead of Legado del Fantasma, something a little bit more recognizable but they don't have anything to sink their teeth into. What they really need is a heel faction other than Bloodline to develop. That way, LWO can go against them and Escobar can get a big win over whoever their leader is, whether that's making the Brawling Brutes heel, whether that's a new faction that might be popping up or a new group that might be popping up. We'll talk about later in the show. They got to do something to elevate Escobar besides him just wrestling well. Wrestling well is part of it. And he got a really nice pop for winning this match. And we'll talk about later in the show, a couple other people who didn't get a nice pop because they lost a match that they should have won. So that was done well. And Escobar getting featured is great. It's just, it came at the expense of possibly him. We'll talk about that momentarily. But it also came at the expense 
of Waller, who has been red hot. And if you want to heal to win a match without pinning someone clean or pinning someone directly one-on-one, a fatal four-way is the exact way to do that. And you had Butch there. He easily could have taken the fall. Now, speaking of the fatal four-way next week, it's Rey Mysterio, Sheamus, Cameron Grimes, and LA Knight. Interesting, by the way, that two members of the LWO and two members of the Brawling Brutes are in this eight-man you know, contention for the U.S. championship. Ray cut a promo from home saying he was looking for a new direction. Grimes cut one backstage expressing confidence. Sheamus, too, basically said he wants another title shot without a distraction excuse. And I was ready to roll my eyes here. <laughs> Except L.A. Knight entered the arena to an insane pop. Yeah. Thank you. And some of you mentioned that you love this sound drop from Michael Scott. The Thank you sound drop. We've played it on the show before. Uh, I guess no one realized it or noticed it until last week, but I'm glad you guys enjoy it so much. We will use it more frequently. Uh, so LA Knight, Chris, I know you're excited. I'm excited. He said he's the best decision WWE has ever made, and he's coming after the title. The fans were hanging on every single word. They basically used yeah during his pauses instead of what, like they used yep. to use. Now, I will say, Knight was a little bit all over the place here with this promo. Mm-hmm. He was clearly hyped as hell. He misspoke on a couple occasions. It didn't matter, though, because everyone was on fire for him. When we last talked about finding a way to get the guy in front of the crowd, this is exactly what we meant. This took like 60 seconds. You can fit 60 seconds into any show, and that's just a minimum time. Better late than never, and even though he's done better, LA Knight, on the mic, this was exactly what we wanted and have needed for the last couple of weeks. Did you see that crowd jump on its feet Mm -hmm. when his music hit? They start the camera angle on the crowd and his music hits and everybody just gets to their feet. Cameras are coming out. People are fired up about this, man. Like this is this is hot as hell. Mm -hmm. This is attitude era reactions. And not only that. He had they're merching him up. He's got a shirt, Mm -hmm. the new one. I really like it. There's a yellow one that he wore and a black one. It's just got a bunch of Yaz on there with the LA Knight logo. Nothing stupid on the back. Like, we we haven't had our big wrestling t-shirt talk on this podcast yet, but this is a good t-shirt that I am considering buying. So, like, if you if you weren't sure that they were all in on him, that's another proof right there. New shirt. You've been trying, by the way, I'll interrupt briefly. You've been trying to condition our listeners to send in a question about wrestling t-shirts yes. for weeks now. You guys aren't sending the question in. So if you want to hear us talk about wrestling t-shirts, you got to send the question in because the last word, it's real questions from you as listeners. We don't talk about topics that we just want to talk about. We take your questions for that segment. And it's always, you know, it's non, you know, they're all wrestling topics that are not directly related to what's happening on TV, right? We don't want to, we don't want to question necessarily about Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar for the last word. We want fun things that we can discuss. But Chris is trying to get you guys to send in a question about <laughs> wrestling T-shirts. Someone send in a question and we'll make it the last word sooner than later. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. And yeah, I wrote in my notes. He fumbled his words a few times. He mixed some of his crowd catchphrases mm-hmm. together, but caught himself because he was like too excited. And you're right. It didn't matter. But there was a line in there that jumped out to me. I'm curious if you thought about this. He says, everybody's using L.A. Knight's name for views and clicks. Mm -hmm. And you know who said some not so nice things about LA Knight recently? Kevin Nash, a member of the click. 
Do you think that was a little a little reference there? So I didn't catch that when he said it live. Like I it just I heard him say click. I assumed website click because mm -hmm. that's what we talk about all the time in our business. Right. Um, so I didn't really put two and two together in that way. However, we did have a listener who DM'd us, and I am trying to stall a little bit. It's uh, Scoops at EJ Maroon, who's, you've probably heard his name before. He writes in all the time. Um, he mentioned the exact same thing to me. He said, uh, everyone on the internet wants to use my name to get views and clicks slash clicks with a K. Wordplay, that was tremendous. And I didn't catch it. Um, and I'm very curious whether it was purposeful. Like whether he just said views and clicks because that's internet and people are taking it right. to mean something it didn't mean or if he purposely meant clicks in that way. Um, but funny if it was, you know, on purpose. Ironic if it was not. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, and it, the larger point, it's exactly what we what we said, which is just put this guy out in front of the crowd. Two weeks ago, they were in Madison Square Garden. They gave him a, a pre, a dark segment thing where he, he takes out Top Dollar, and, and it did a million views on YouTube. And I, I don't have it exactly. Uh, yeah, his his latest one, once again, a mm -hmm. million views on YouTube. Like he is just blowing up when they put him out there in all types of forms, and it's awesome, man. Like it's so. He his his I, I've said this before, but like so much of wrestling promo these days is people talking sarcastic, you know, to each other, mm -hmm. to the crowd or whatever. He just goes directly at it. It's such an old school way of talking that it resonates and people are like, yeah, yeah say the thing. I want to say it back. We're simple people, man. We we like catchphrases. We we like when you point and we could say your name and it's just it, it's totally working. Love everything about it. I'm super hyped about this. I also wrote, by the way, that new T-shirt. Here's the description of the shirt. I wrote it down because okay. it was very funny. <laughs> they said, hey, WWE fans, let me talk to you about this awesome LA Knight. Yeah, shirt. The graphics on the Superstar T are so animated. It will have everybody saying LA Knight. Whose game is it? It, it definitely will be yours in this comfy shirt. And have you, <laughs> leave, you feel, leave you feeling like a megastar. And that is just a fact of life. Yeah, they fit so that's many pretty good. Catchphrases. Yeah, so many catchphrases into like three sentences. Like it, it's such a good character brand that he's kind of created. So it's awesome. I love it. And the more I think about it, the SummerSlam card is loaded. But man, this should be the opening match. Yeah, opening match. SummerSlam. Yeah, not SmackDown. I'm not just saying that because I'm going to be at SummerSlam and I want to see it. But this dude is so over. Don't leave him to SmackDown the night before. Make this a show opener. Everybody will be hot. It'll be great. Would really like to see that. The problem with SummerSlam is going to be two world championship matches. Mm -hmm. They're going to promote Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar as a main event. Two women's championship matches. Two women's non-title matches, which, by the way, is great and something we're going to talk about later. And one involves Ronda Rousey. And one of them involves Ronda Rousey. The other one involves Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch. So you have all of these massive matches. We want LA Knight on the show. LA Knight and Austin Theory kicking that off with an eight-minute title change is the way to go. You're right. But with all those other really big matches, that's eight right there. There's going to be at least 10 on this show. Drew McIntyre and Gunther, I forgot to mention. Will the tag team titles be on the line? 
how do you put this on the show? I mean, it should be for exactly the reason that you said. I don't know if they have the space. Triple H likes doing six, seven match cards. We're at nine, 10 already before LA Knight and Austin Theory. It's tough. It's going to be tough. tough. I just, and I think about guys who are crossing over, like the Pop-Tarts Bowl uh, tweeted at me with some LA Knight stuff like a week ago. Like Mm -hmm. he is crossing over in a way that they really like. And I know SmackDown's on Fox gets a big audience, but like, man, SummerSlam would be a great place to, you didn't put him at WrestleMania, you Mm -hmm. blew that. Like this dude's hot as hell. If you keep him off both of your biggest two shows of the year, I just feel like that's a misstep. I think um, WrestleMania was a missed opportunity. I don't it wasn't the end of the world because he he was just starting to really get over then. But not having him at SummerSlam, that would be blowing an opportunity. That would be just ridiculous for him not to be on the card somehow. Even if he has his title match on the go home SmackDown, you get him on SummerSlam in some way to set up his next yes. feud, a quick segment, something like that. Couple the, the, more. Issue Russell, the issue with WrestleMania was saying, you can't have that without me. And then they did. Right, and then they did. <laughs> that, right. that was the problem. Right. And his name's LA, and they he was in LA, and they didn't do it. Yeah, all of that. Uh, a couple more items really quick before we go on. You know, we did discuss previously, like the whole idea of LA Knight being a quote unquote ripoff of The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. I wanted to say this to that effect. He's not a ripoff. If you want to say he's derivative to some degree, which is a word people for some reason, aren't using, then yeah, okay, he's derivative in some ways. His cadence, the way he speaks, he's, and by the way, he's been doing this for like a decade, maybe longer. So it's not like it's fresh where he just, WWE said, hey, we need our new Stone Cold or Rock. Let's put this guy into that role and have him talk that way. No, he's been doing it. This is this is how he made himself a quote unquote megastar in professional wrestling. Uh, that's number one. It's, is it ripoff? No, is it somewhat derivative? Sure. But number two, you can't trademark charisma. Okay, the guy has it. Many wrestlers don't, at least not to the level that he does. So what do you want him to change? You want him to be less entertaining? You want him to attract people less than he has? Uh, No, he's not going to do that. So I don't know what people are expecting. Maybe it's just the culture these days where you have to find a way to shit on everything that's popular. Um, But there's nothing wrong with what LA Knight is doing right now. A couple other things. Uh, seven of the eight competitors in this invitational are baby faces. I know there's a heel champion. That's heavily weighted, though, with, again, two groups having a pair of guys in the field. And lastly, look, I think it's pretty obvious that LA Knight is going to come out of this second fatal four-way. Knight winning that semifinal is what makes me think Escobar was the wrong winner in the first one. They're both baby faces, but Santos is going to get booed against him head-to-head And as you mentioned, they've already fought twice on television in pretty short, lackluster matches last month. It feels like Waller should have won the first match, and he could have always taken an excused loss tonight because Waller losing isn't going to damage him at all. That's literally, you briefly mentioned this, what they did in NXT. You mentioned that it was good for Knight as a babyface. No, they turned Knight babyface against Waller. And even though he's already a face now, they've been forced into that. They had a chance here to have a huge face go over a huge heel, win that number one contendership, and then beat another heel who people are tired of, in theory, to win the title. And instead, they gave him Escobar, which, you know, Escobar will probably get booed against him, but people don't hate him. So I, I just don't understand that decision. Yeah, it's it's strange. It, it, it makes me think there's like a, 
tiny chance that uh, I don't know Seamus comes out of that or something, and we they go for Escobar, but seems extremely unlikely. So, we, yeah, we've been talking we about confused. it. We've been talking about it. If LA Knight wasn't going to win Money in the Bank, you strap him up with the United States Championship. It seems right. like they are exactly doing that. You can't miss that opportunity, as far as I'm right. concerned. Agree. All right, folks, that was the main event, a rare co-main event here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We used to do it all the time, a lot less recently. It is now time to move to the second of three segments on today's show. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. And for any first-time listeners, we're about to discuss everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw and appropriately grade it good, bad, or ugly. So Cody Rhodes opened Raw as one should when you're in their hometown. And it was a legitimate sellout in Atlanta on Monday night. The ovation for him was sick. Cody said he didn't actually need to talk. He was just there waiting for Brock Lesnar to finally accept his challenge. Brock didn't show, even though he was advertised. So Cody said he'd be there at the top of every hour and the end of the show waiting for him. And Chris, I thought that's exactly what was going to happen. That from a rating standpoint, they were just going to have Cody come out at 9, 10, and then, you know, uh, 10, 58, right at the end of the main event, waiting for Lesnar. They didn't actually do that. He got sentimental about Atlanta. He showed his mom, Michelle, in the front row. WWE, I mentioned earlier, had a grammar flub that I cannot ignore. It said road apostrophe S as as the possession uh, instead of Rhodes with the apostrophe at the end. Very frustrating for me. Cody said he can only describe his relationship with Brock as hard times, which didn't actually get the pop that you would expect. Just as he rapped and started hugging his mom, Lesnar's music hit, but Brock didn't show. It happened again, drawing Cody closer up the ramp into gorilla position where Lesnar caught him blind with chair shots. Then he F5'd him at ringside right in front of his mom. Then he cinched in the Kamara lock twice, first outside, then inside the ring. And he screamed off Mike that he accepts the challenge. We later saw Lesnar that added a steel chair right to Cody's back during the commercial break. Now, as soon as they showed Michelle, I figured Brock might actually like appear behind her in the crowd or something. And like Cody's eyes would get big and they would brawl. Like, that's what I thought was going to happen. But even without that, this still accomplished the goal. First of all, we spoke last week about Cody's massively disappointing filler promo. This was night and day different from that one. Not among his best, full of energy and passion and emotion and story that just did not exist last week. And then the attack, it was perfectly devastating. The emotional element of doing it in front of the Rhodes family in Atlanta obviously played into that. I do wish Lesnar like talked some trash to Michelle and like really laid in that he was a true piece of shit hurting her son right in front of her. He is like silent but deadly most of the time and that works for him, but he's proven that he can emote better than that and act better than that. Obviously this was good. That would have taken it over the top for me. Yeah, definitely good. Great segment. Um, I, I, I noted once again, Cody's opening the show in his ring gear, but he's not scheduled to wrestle at the beginning of the show. Uh, but this one was different. He didn't have the jacket and everything. Great promo. Everything was, you know, typical good Cody stuff. When the Brock music hits, I'm thinking, and, and the camera's turning, and I'm thinking, 
are we going to get a Brock sneak attack from behind? That's not really his like thing, you know, like he's not really someone who does that. They did it multiple times. Like, I'm not going to love it if they do that. And then they didn't. They did it in a different way, which is a, a, a Cody goes backstage, gets thrown out. Everything happens. I did think it was going to play out longer. Mm-hmm. I was surprised it all happened in in one segment. Um, Beatdown was good. Cody's mom actually laughed because her like they they obviously wanted her to emote reaction and sadness or whatever anger that her that her son is getting beat up with it <laughs> like like i don't know why she just seemed like this like this is all you can do you know why dude a- i'll tell you why because she's calloused because she's seen uh <laughs> dustin you know blood pouring out of his head she's seen dusty get you know yeah. get absolutely ravaged before she's she's immune to seeing brock f5 someone at, at on a padded you right. know ringside surface she has seen so much worse in her life yeah yeah so i i, I thought that i wondered if brock was going to break the arm again you know, we've kind of moved past the broken arm thing. They said it was healed, but I was like, is he going to break it again? And right. he didn't. Why Why didn't he break it again? He got away with it last time. So I, that was just when you when you open up that can, as they did two months ago, like it's hard to get past it. Um, but but uh, everything else was was good. I enjoyed it. And I don't know if we want to talk about it here, but it also coincides with uh, the Cody Rhodes Peacock documentary trailer. Oh, yeah, sure. We can mention it. So on July 31st, uh, American Nightmare, that's what it's, what it's called, uh, Doc on Peacock. I think it's along the lines of what they did with Ric Flair, the Woo documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's, even though it is a WWE production, it's not being promoted as if it's a WWE production. It's it's a Peacock uh, documentary. Um, but it seems like everyone was interviewed for it except Dustin, which is understandable, but really disappointing given he is family and like it would be great to hear his perspective. Um, and it, I'll tell you just from the trailer, it seems like a must watch. They did the trailer is great. Yeah. Tra- trailer is great. That Ric Flair documentary, by the way, I think was like nominated for best sports documentary or something like that. Like it, yeah. it got a lot of attention, uh, for that. So we, we knew this was coming. Cody had alluded to it in previous stuff. Uh, looks interesting. And the, the timing of it is all, I, I wonder too, you know, like, mm-hmm. As we go this year where Cody has to come back from losing to Roman Reigns to maybe beat him at WrestleMania 40, you know, what is the story they're telling? Right. And a big part of this trailer is the story of him leaving WWE and starting AEW and coming back. I'm curious how much they're going to delve into that. That is the real life story they've kind of not wanted to lean into on screen, which I, I get. And so I'm curious what storylines this this goes to. I'll also think like, hey, was Cody supposed to win the title? And this is the documentary about his return back and winning it. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I am curious about it. It's going to air about a week before SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, this this year of Cody going into WrestleMania 40 continues to be very, very high notes for him. But I am definitely looking forward to it. I will tell you this. He was not supposed to win uh, WrestleMania 39. So that wasn't a thing. And my guess is that the documentary does not mention AEW, but mentions and shows clips of him at numerous international promotions, maybe even New Japan uh, clips because right. he, he was at Wrestle Kingdom and did some of that over there. Um, I guess we get a lot of that. And then we note there's a note there that he was involved in starting a promotion that is really successful 
but I doubt it's named. I would be very, very, very it's, surprised it's, if they named it. His is so different because he founded the company. Like we've had guys leave WWE and come back and you tell that story and you just kind of brush over it. Like but Drew McIntyre, like, well, like Drew McIntyre is on the independence exactly. and he did great, yeah. but he didn't go anywhere really. I mean, he didn't do anything that was. He was in TNA with LA Knight, with Eli right. Drake. He was, <laughs> right. he was part of the factory. It's true, it's true. Um, but you're right. Like Cody founded the company. So I'm just, I'm very curious. That's going to be yeah. the thing I'm almost most interested in is how they address that because it's a massive part of Cody's story. Like nobody in wrestling history has like done that yeah. before. And it's just, it's interesting. And so it's, I'm looking al- forward to it's it. also rough because WWE used to do content trading with Ring of Honor where they would let Ring of Honor use their footage and they could use Ring of Honor footage. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know who, I think Ring of Honor owned the all-in footage, which obviously Tony Khan now yes. owns as part of AEW. Yep. So in the past, if this was like two years ago, there it's possible we might have see, seen clips of Cody from All In on this documentary. But now with Tony owning it, obviously that's not going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see how they tell that story without showing footage and I presume without naming AEW. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll surprise us, but... It's going to be super interesting. I do want to mention one more thing about this feud before we move on. With so much time left before SummerSlam, and given this is a rubber match, there almost definitely needs to be a stipulation added for Brock Cody 3. Almost anything, Chris, other than last man standing or submission would work for me because number one, these guys don't tap out. Number two, Cody's submission move is the figure four. He never uses it. He rarely uses it, I should say. So... I don't want that to be the case just because they're going back to the Kimura. Lesnar tapping to the figure four for me just would not work. Um, There's rumors of a bull rope match Uh, that could play into the arm injury, giving Brock like a weapon Mm -hmm. excuse if he was to lose to Cody. I personally would love to see three stages of hell, which WWE just does not do and has not done in a long time. Make it epic. Like we haven't gotten that in a while. Really the best stipulation, what I would love, I want them to have a rules of engagement, Chris. I want them to do three stages of hell. And I want Cody to say, Brock, when you lose, you need to explain to me why you attacked me after WrestleMania. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's it's weird to end the feud by playing the <laughs> beginning of the feud. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like I've heard a lot of people talking stipulations as well. And it does feel like Cody has to win this, right? Yeah, I, he should. I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Of course, if he wins, he has a case for the championship, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, and you need a stipulation so he doesn't, does he just pin Brock clean? I mean, he rolled Brock up the one time, you know, the, and, and so like, how does he get his big win over Brock? Is it via mm-hmm. stipulation? Is it burying him in something? Or does he just pin him, which doesn't happen often with Brock? So I'm curious. Um, I, I don't want it to, considering how long we think the show is going to be, don't want an I quit or last man standing. Those take a long time. They right. drag. I don't like them anyway. Um, I don't know if false count anywhere really fits, but something like something like them being tied together, it's a very Cody Rhodes thing. Mm-hmm. And it fits. So maybe we get that or a strat match or something like that. Well, was it a strat match that Cody did in AW? Bull rope. Bull rope. Yeah, bull rope. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I don't know. We'll see. Now that the match is official, we've got, again, several episodes of Raw until the match. So perhaps that's what we get. By the way, for anyone who's listening, if you happen to hear thunder or rain or something, it is just 
the, the sky just exploded outside my window. I live in South Florida right now, and this is what happens in the summer. So please just, if you hear any of that in the distant background, please do your best to ignore it. I can only erase so much from the audio here on the podcast. All right, lots more to talk about in this segment. Judgment Day was in the ring on Raw with Rhea Ripley laughing that anyone would believe they'd actually break up as a group. She said they're not fragile like that because they're unstoppable. She called herself the most dominant woman in the industry and promised both Finn Balor and Damian Priest would be future world champions with Dominic Mysterio set to win the North American title Tuesday night on NXT. The Boo Birds obviously rained down, so Priest stepped in for Dom and got booed really hard too. He again promised Balor that he would get first crack at Seth Rollins. Balor said their feud will never end until he wins the title off Rollins. Dom then got drowned out a second time with Sami Zayn getting really big pops saying they'd shut Dom's mouth. Priest challenged the faces to defend their titles and Kevin Owens played like he had a migraine the entire time. He couldn't stand listening to them until Sami let him speak on the mic. He ranted and obviously accepted the challenge. This was originally booked as a non-title match, by the way. Now, seeing Ripley that's in this- That's what I thought. It was, yeah. I, I, that's what I thought at the time. I was confused later on. Right, well, that's what, it was booked as non-title, and then they goaded them into making it a title match, which is typical, you know, heel stuff. Now, seeing Ripley, though, in this, like, de facto leadership role, it fits her like a glove. They, for the first, like, six months of this version of Judgment Day, they kept, like, teasing that she was the leader, but they made it a point to make sure that neither she- nor Balor, nor Dom was the true leader. But now it really does feel like she's kind of stepping up into that kind of role. And I love it. They also did a great job transitioning the heat from Dominic to Priest in this segment. And while it didn't all follow to Balor, all four of these guys drew huge reactions while telling their own separate stories that came together to work for Judgment Day as a whole. And obviously, Sammy and KO were tremendous comedically. This was a very good segment and a great lead into the main event match. Yeah, to, to that point, like, Dominic's been getting all the heavy boos, and it felt like this was a segment where they moved the mic around to try to get everybody to get it, which is a good idea. You know, like, like Priest, get, get, just get some more heat on everybody. So I, I think that all worked. Rhea feeling more and more like the leader. It's working. Finn's jacket was incredible. Uh, I had to write that down. Mostly I was just kind of disappointed we didn't get more of them because I loved Judgment Day running raw last week. You know, of, of basically they have the whole show and I loved it. And I was like, oh man, I I want to go back to the, I just, I love these guys. I wanted to go back to them instead of the Cody stuff. So this was great. Everything works. I, I did note, by the way, four of the last six Monday Night Raw main events have been tag team matches, some of them for titles, some of them not. But it is a trend that is jumping out that we have these main events that are a lot of fun. Sometimes they do or don't have stakes. But uh, once again, tag team main event is is very popular right now. Let's not forget main evented night one of WrestleMania and have main evented, I think, two premium live events recently as well. So tag team wrestling having its resurgence in WWE. And by the way, KO and Sammy are a huge part of that being the case. So credit to them on that. Now, before we get to that match, we actually have two other big segments that involve Judgment Day people that we got to talk about. So Seth Rollins did a sit down interview backstage saying he has a short list of challengers for his title at SummerSlam. He listed Balor, Damian Priest, Drew McIntyre, Gunther, and Kevin Owens as potential combatants. Balor interrupted, sitting face to face with Rollins, demanding a rematch because their issues are far from over. Rollins gave his challenge credence, but he said, 
You got to stop living in the past. Balor countered. He's living in chaos and wants to laugh in Rollins' face after taking his career from him. Rollins said the World Heavyweight Championship, it's bigger than their feud. And if Balor just wants to settle a score, they can brawl right there. So Balor, you know, feigned like he was walking away. And then Rollins turned his head. Balor super kicked him blind, beat him down a little bit. And of course, Rollins accepted the match. And the title match was officially announced later on Raw. This felt to me like it was straight out of the 90s, almost like a Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart type of segment. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It just had that old school confrontation vibe that this is serious and we want to beat the shit out of each other. But there's this sliver of corniness to remind you you're still watching professional wrestling, right? It was great to see the feud get away from the serenades and all the stuff in the arena and focus on being more intense. It wasn't necessarily the best continuation of the feud. I'd have liked a mention of Priest distracting at Money in the Bank and wanting to prevent that this time. And there's still time. Maybe that will come up. But just like the last build, there's still plenty of time for this to get super, super hot before SummerSlam. And we came out of Money in the Bank saying they really left us wanting more in that title match. We didn't love the match. We really didn't like the finish. Now we know that this was the reason why, because they're rematching it at SummerSlam. They didn't want to give it all away. I don't believe in that. I believe you give full effort and then you give full effort a second time. You figure out a way to make it better. But, you know, just like last month, we went into Money in the Bank and at first we weren't that hyped. Then all of a sudden, those final two weeks, they just, they said, holy shit, this is a match that you badly want to see. And by the way, you want to see Balor beat Rollins, even though he's a heel. They're doing it again. I'm starting to get there. This was good. Yeah, no, I, I'm there again. And, and, and once again, you know, ever since that show where Finn got drowned out by all the singing, they've done different things to get them together or to deliver messages or to do vignettes. And it's worked and they've gotten Finn's message across a lot better than him just standing in the ring and cutting a promo. He was great uh, on this. And like like you just said, like I was fired up. I want to see it again. And just like in the first one, I kind of wanted Finn to win because of what happened to him seven years ago or whatever that was so this was great it was fresh it was new we don't get this type of thing very often sometimes it's just an interview with a commentator or something i think it was just refreshing and just everything about it was great now let's move on to talking about the women's tag team championships before we talk about the men's tag team championships and a little bit of a warning or whatever there's a lot to dive into here so Liv morgan and raquel rodriguez were scheduled to defend the titles against sonia deville and Chelsea Green. So they were doing a backstage promo, the champions were, and Liv pointed out that the heels complain about the rules, but they don't actually follow them themselves, which by the way, was a good point. Uh, They talked about defending the titles against anyone. When Ripley walked up, stared them down, they jawed back at her. So then Ripley headbutts Morgan, and I thought her head left her body. She just, (laughs) she sold this, like she just got shot. She fell all the way back. And then Ripley starts brawling with Rodriguez, ultimately taking out her knee. Later backstage, the trainer told Raquel, look, technically you're cleared to wrestle, but it would be way safer if you actually got some scans and let's double check. The faces didn't want to do that because of what happened to Liv's shoulder, where she got checked out, they dropped the titles, and she was able to come back pretty quick. So they didn't want to relinquish the titles and not fight. They wanted to go. Ra- uh, Raquel wanted to go. Rodriguez told Adam Pierce this. He's like, all right, fine. If that's what you want to do, I'll make it official. So this was blatantly obvious as like a double setup for a title challenge and a singles feud, maybe even a triple setup for a 
a title challenge or a title change, I'm sorry, and consecutive singles feuds. It also somewhat closed the loop on Liv's departure and quick return, which really started the hot potatoing of these titles. I thought it was really smart to insert that element here. They even had Rodriguez, when she made her entrance for the title match, like grit through her teeth and frown during what's all otherwise like that all smiles entrance that we make fun of because it's ridiculous for her to just smile the entire yeah. time. She was limping too. And she was limping, right. So I thought that was a really nice touch. I found this to be an extremely successful and believable storytelling device to get them where they wanted to go. And it also opened two options for Ripley, both at SummerSlam and the premium live event after it. So before we even get to the match, I thought what they did backstage to set this up was really good. I love that Rhea is the champ, but it's just being aggressive. Like normally it's someone's goading and goading the champ into things or, you know, asking for matches. Rhea's the champ. She's top of the division. She's just finding the next biggest person she can see and just getting in their face. Like I just I love that for Rhea's character. It makes sense and it makes me more excited. Uh, just for the eventual Rhea Raquel thing. Rhea obviously feels like Raquel is on her level and she's trying to get to her ahead of time. So it's a different approach to it. And I've I've liked it. It has been successful. So let's get to the match. Liv got attacked by Sonya at the bell. She got the hot tag with a flying meteora and oblivion on Chelsea, only to eat a massive freaking knee to the face from Sonya to break the fall. You would think that this woman has gotten concussed twice in one night because she took a headbutt and a knee to the face that looked like, you know, like a cartoon. You'd see the little Tweety birds you know, circling around the head like a, like a, you know, angel halo or something like that. Uh, DeVille worked on Rodriguez's ankle in the ring and later chopped her down outside. Morgan countered Unpretty Her, but got punched in the face on a kickout by DeVille through the ropes. Green then hit Unprettier for a false finish. Morgan ate a second Unpretty Her, plus the running knee from DeVille, with the heels winning the titles in just over six minutes. Neither of the Unpretty Hers, by the way, hit that well. Liv just, for some reason, struggled to sell that. The heels also celebrated backstage. They refused to acknowledge Raquel's injury as the reason for their victory. Chelsea did a whole victory speech, and Sonya promised that they would run the division. Chelsea, in particular, remains hysterical, and they continue to do great together. Now, Raquel had her knee evaluated ringside during the celebration. This marked, Chris, the second change of these titles in 17 days and the third in 49 days. It was also Raquel Rodriguez's fourth title reign that lasted 17 days or less. She has no luck whatsoever when it comes to booking. She's lost partners due to injury. They've done quick changes. It's just, it's been bad stuff for her. Very Sasha Banks-esque for a long period of time. This also confirmed our suspicions from last week that the faces indeed won the titles to be transitional champions given all the injury issues and the shortening of the Ronda Rousey-Shayna Baszler feud. I had zero issue with the title change in a vacuum. What I did have an issue with was the match being six minutes. The last time a women's tag team match lasted under 10 minutes and resulted in a title change was 2021 when they were totally throwaway belts. That's massively frustrating, especially when there were another three plus minutes of happenings between the end of this match and the next commercial break. And all WWE did in that three minute period of time was preview other things coming up on the show. You have four good wrestlers in a wrestling ring. The titles are on the line. Let them freaking wrestle. 
We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just freaking wrestle. I'm also frustrated because in doing the angle this way, Unholy Union on SmackDown lost those NXT women's tag team titles when instead they could have unified the titles and Rousey and Baszler could have split in that match when that opportunity was on the line. You also have the KCs on Raw who have now lost three times when they didn't even need to lose once during that time, they could have been built up as top contenders. And again, that gave us this unnecessary transitional title reign. So despite all of that frustration that I just laid out there, I am actually going good here because I'm interested in the heels as champions. I understand the circumstances under which this all happened. Liv, she basically hit her finisher and almost won. Then she ate the equivalent of like three finishers to go down. Sonya got her first title in WWE after eight years. Chelsea is getting a spotlight she definitely deserves. And all of it was part of a bigger story with Ripley, leading to at least one, maybe two number one contenders over the next two months. That's a lot of silver linings that I found, and I can't call something bad when I see that much silver lining. I just wouldn't have needed to consider any of that if the match went 10 minutes. Right. It, it was definitely a good, the path there was not great, but ultimately you get a good result, which is Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville, who have been awesome together since Carmella left, deserving of this championship. But not not only do we have three title changes in like 49 days or whatever you said, think about how those titles have changed. We've had, they were just relinquished because of an injury. You had Shayna turning on Ronda in the middle of a match as the champs. And now you've got a pre-match attack and injury impacting this change. Like if you want to make the belts feel like mean something, they have to like, you have to win them in impressive fashion. And instead they're just like being thrown around all for the purpose of, of getting here. I imagine if Sonya and Chelsea had beaten Ronda and Shayna, like I know they're both heels, but if Shayna was going to be turning on Ronda anyway, like you still could have made that work. And then, and then they've got a win here. That's, more impressive. Still, Sonya and Chelsea did beat everybody else in the division, you know, a couple of weeks ago with that women's gauntlet match. So like they are absolutely deserving champions and they tried as best they could to make them feel like deserving champions by giving them a bunch of wins. So like ultimately it all works. I just think the way you kind of threw the titles around didn't need to happen in the end, but still a good, still happy for Sonya and, and Chelsea and uh we, we need to add Samantha Irvin doing Chelsea Green's intro as, as a drop to the pot, I think, still. Yeah, I'll just say I made an inquiry on that. Uh, didn't get a reply. So <laughs> I'm hoping I can make something happen there so we can get a really, let's just put it this way, a really clear version uh, of Chelsea Green. But if not, I will cut something from the broadcast. Uh, real quick before we move on, the problem with all of this, it was just the insistence of WWE creative, Triple H really, to stick with the booking plans and not make adjustments given all of the injury delays that happened. It's kind of like what happened with AEW and Jade Cargill and Chris Statlander, except Stat tore ACL. She was out for nine months, and it was truly absurd that they didn't change plans, even though there was a nine-month gap. But so much went wrong here, with Ronda getting injured, Shayna getting injured, then Liv getting injured, all in succession. It just felt like they should have at some point changed plans and gotten to the same end result they wanted, but going about it a different way. Sometimes when chaos is created, you just have to make those adjustments, and they didn't. Rousey and Baszler, let's remember, 
They were supposed to win the titles at WrestleMania with the goal of elevating the division all the way up until like Money in the Bank, which they would break up and that would lead to a SummerSlam match. Instead, they beat the only legitimate teams that existed in like a two-week period of time, lost the titles with Baszler's turn. So Liv and Raquel didn't even get like a bump because they conquered them. It was Baszler that led to that. And then the faces dropped the title 17 days later. Again, probably well-intentioned initially from a booking standpoint, but there was clearly a lack of care given to it once obstacles got in the path of the well-laid plans. That's my frustration with the entire thing. So with that, let's move to the men's tag team championship. KO and Sammy defending against Judgment Day. Rollins ran through the crowd and hit Balor with a tope suicida to take him out through gorilla position before the bell. It was like the first thing that happened in the segment, which really set the tone for what was going to be a really fun segment. To say the crowd was hot for this match is a massive understatement. Owens had a really sick hot tag with a senton on Priest outside and an Eddie Guerrero shake frog splash off the apron onto Dom. Priest got knees up on a swanton bomb with Dom hitting the frog splash for a broken fall. Dom countered a stunner but ate a pop-up powerbomb for a broken fall. Ripley at ringside sold every false finish like it was like the biggest travesty in the entire world. It was really funny to see her outside. Sammy hit a tornado DDT, but Priest took him down with a hurricanrana. The champions hit stereo moves outside. Ripley ran Owens into the steel steps, then distracted the referee, only for Liv to run down, pull her off the ring apron, and clothesline her ass over the barricade into the timekeeper's area, which was super hot. Zayn hit the exploder suplex on Dom. Priest interrupted Huluva kick, but KO intercepted him for a stunner. Then Zayn hit Huluva kick on Dom for the win and title retention to an electric pop in 16 minutes. I don't even know what else there is to say. This was tremendous. The crowd was like a nine out of 10. The wrestling was terrific. My only surprise is that this wasn't saved for a go-home Raw or SummerSlam itself because this would have been well-placed on either of those shows, but it was a fantastic TV main event, 4.25 stars and an A, and I actually re-watched the final segment because when you take notes, sometimes you miss like, the energy of the match that you're watching. And I wanted to experience that. So I rewatched the last segment after commercial break. I have no idea what KO and Sammy are going to do for their next challengers. Actually, now that I say that, I do think I have an idea, but I don't know that it's going to be as exciting as this would have been. But damn, was this good on Monday night? Yeah, I don't really have much to say other than just it was a super awesome match. And Sammy and KO while not doing a ton storyline-wise, continue to be over like crazy, continue to be just the baby faces everybody loves. They put on great matches. Judgment Day is great foils. Win or lose, we don't feel all that different about them. So just, I thought it was a lot of fun. And like, you know, they put stakes on it by putting the tag team titles on the line. I don't think we really thought that was going to happen. But um, it was it was very fun final main event as they keep doing tag team main events. Mm -hmm. They also emphasize that Dominic is going for the North American title the next day on NXT. So that was good. Uh, So just good stuff. I don't really have much else to say. Yeah, there really isn't much to say in terms of Liv and Rhea. Okay. I thought that was an awesome element to the match finish. It made it really, really exciting. They started out with Rollins and Balor. They ended with Liv and Rhea. It will be interesting to see what they decide to do. If they go Ripley Morgan or Ripley Rodriguez for SummerSlam. I hope among all hopes, they avoid a triple threat, which to me would not make any sense because these women are partners. For me, 
Rhea and Liv have a built-in, ready-made feud for the main roster audience. It's much more compelling, and it's easier to execute in a short window for SummerSlam than going with Ripley and Rodriguez. If you go Ripley-Rodriguez, that ties a lot more back to NXT, and I think it needs to be explored more than just going with the spectacle. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight! Which that would definitely be. So if I had the book, I would put Ripley Morgan on SummerSlam. I also think Liv is way more over than Raquel. And then I would go Ripley Rodriguez as a big featured feud for Payback, which is an aptly named event, by the way, for a match like that. So Liv is definitely more over. And I know she's pinned Ronda Rousey like three times. (laughs) Three times, yeah. But when I see Rhea Liv, I just think Rhea should just crush this girl like a bug mm-hmm. like, like and, you know Raquel just feels like the bigger match I could definitely see the reverse happening you do the the short build Raquel match as a big woman versus you know big woman big woman match and then you do the live one for Bayback. Um, I think that's more likely because they've been leaning into Rhea Raquel they have you know absolutely with all the, the confrontations so you know I could see it. They Rhea then lives trying to get payback for Raquel at payback, you know, so that, that that's that's my pick where it goes. Maybe Ripley actually injures Raquel's knee beyond one week and mm-hmm. like takes her out of action for a month, two months and lives steps in for her basically to get the payback, like you're saying, to again, fit the name of the show. That's possible as well. I, I'm just saying what I would do. I would put Liv on the bigger show. She's more over. Um, I would have Raquel sell that knee and then have Raquel try to get payback for the knee and for Liv at payback. Bianca Belair opened SmackDown bothered that she had to wait an entire six weeks for a rematch. She said patience is a virtue, but vengeance is sweet. Charlotte Flair obviously interrupted, saying Bianca got her fired up. She thought Belair would beat Asuka, and of course she wanted the first title match when she did. Belair responded sarcastically, but said them fighting at SummerSlam would be huge. Both of them got babyface reactions, but here I was thinking Asuka should be beating the ever-loving shit out of both of them with a chair or something, for overlooking and disrespecting her entirely in this segment. This just seemed like another unfortunate indication that Asuka is not seen as the top of the division, which is really something I hoped would change under Triple H. This, despite her being champion, I'd be shocked if she doesn't lose the title at SummerSlam, whether it's to Belair, Flair, or even Io Sky with a post-match cash-in. But this segment to open SmackDown, it was far better than all of their prior encounters. So while I'm annoyed at the concept, it was not really bad at all. And therefore, clearly, I'll give it a good. It was good. I I still think Bianca's not great with, you know, standing in the ring by yourself, solo promos, still just, it's not quite there, but there's heat, there's energy behind this. I agree. Asuka feels like the third wheel in a Charlotte-Bianca feud, and she's the champ. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's been that way for a bit now, and it just, it is what it is. Flair backstage was in the process of leaving the arena with all of her luggage, and Pierce just was surprised that she was dipping out. She explained that she feels good about the situation with the title and wouldn't bother interfering because she knows that Pierce hates that. Then Bailey came up with Eosky laughing that they also feel good because they have obviously the Money in the Bank briefcase, so Flair obviously decided to stay which anyone with a brain knew immediately meant a double distraction excuse loss for Bel Air leading to the triple threat. Let's see if I was right, because I wrote that when I saw this segment. 
So we had the WWE Women's Championship on the line, Asuka against Bianca Belair. Before the match, we saw Belair and Asuka in separate meetings with Pierce and a referee, while Bailey and Io stalked both of them in the background. The heels came down with front row tickets before the bell. Asuka briefly caught Belair off a handspring with Asuka lock. Belair then caught Asuka off the ring apron for a kiss of death on the announce table. Bailey, Io, and Charlotte all jumped the barricade. Flair booted Bailey with Bianca bothered, but Charlotte explaining that she was helping her. Io then taunted Belair. Flair went to help even more by spearing Io, but Sky moved out of the way and Belair got speared for the obvious disqualification. Io then slammed Charlotte in the face with a briefcase and dragged Asuka into the ring for over the moonsault. Just as Bailey was about to cash in the briefcase for Io, or at least was trying to, Asuka misted Bailey in the face and escaped as Io, of course, lost her shit. All right, so did this go exactly as we expected? I mean, basically, yes. I will give WWE creative credit because they put a twist on what is a trite, repetitive, formulaic type of triple threat booking, and they avoided it being isolated on Bel Air and Flair, therefore making it feel somewhat original with EO and Bailey. It's like the difference between eating raw carrots and like hot honey carrots, okay? I'll eat a raw carrot, it's fine, but I'll eat a whole serving of hot honey carrots. And if you haven't made that for yourself, by the way, you should, because they're freaking fantastic. Anyway, we got about 10 minutes of strong action. We have EO and Bailey attempting to be strategic. We have an explanation for, you know, Bailey keeps trying to cash in the briefcase for EO. That's not allowed. The person who holds the briefcase has to be the one to cash it in. So the referee appropriately said, what are you doing? You can't do this. It distracted EO. It led to the finish that we ultimately got to the entire segment. And we're going to get the planned triple threat for SummerSlam, which will be a big match. And look, we've seen what Charlotte can do. We've seen what Bianca can do. We've seen what Asuka can do. This could be epic. Unlike two weeks ago, which was a total eye roll, and last week, which was cut for time, this week was extremely well executed. It was entertaining, and I do give it a good. Yeah, this was good. It felt frantic, and uh, I like that. I like when there's a lot of things going on at once. All these different people are trying to get around Asuka to win her title, and, and just it feels important. And they also made this match feel important throughout the show, like I said at the beginning here promo segments, backstage stuff, like they built this matchup throughout SmackDown. So when we got to the main event, it felt like a big deal. So, so credit to that, you know, we, we kind of got the expected finish and all that, but, but um, th- this all worked, you know, there's a bit ups and downs with this stuff, but I, I like this, the Bianca EO stuff is, I'm sorry, the Bailey EO stuff is progressing. We're going to get eventually to the triple threat, which is what we thought is just kind of been an annoying route to get here, but that'll be fun. And yeah, so we're kind of almost at that point now. It's been a bumpy few roads, but I give this a a good for sure. Now, we do have a lot more to talk about actually with Bailey, so let's get to that now. Zelina Vega fought Bailey also on SmackDown. Zelina beat Bailey with the chincleta after Bailey took it out of the corner. I guess because it's a small piece of rubber, it's not a weapon and therefore not a disqualification, but it's weird that they just let it go. Uh, Trying to grab Bailey outside, Zelina got her neck snapped on the middle rope before eating Rose Plant for the loss in less than three minutes. Bailey also carried Shotzi's hairlock, the green hair, uh, to ringside. So, okay, look, the match was automatically bad, like less than three minutes for two women who are both extremely capable in the ring. It's ridiculous. And like, yes, I get it. The women opened the show and they main evented SmackDown. They also got multiple backstage segments 
That's great for the division as a whole. They're getting time. They're telling a story. Fine. Don't throw bullshit like this into the show, making Zelina look like shit for no reason whatsoever. It accomplished nothing other than Zelina looking like shit for losing to Bailey in two and a half minutes. But this isn't even what we should be talking about here because of what happened with Shotzi. So before we get to that, do you have anything else to say on this? No, you, you hit it all. What's your grade? Um, bad. Okay. So Shotzi appeared on the Titantron sitting in front of like a bathroom vanity type of situation. She was on the floor of a bathroom. Uh, she was dressed down without much of her normal makeup. She turned on an electric razor saying she may be a little weird, but she's fully in control. Then she proved that by buzzing all of her hair off while laughing manically. Unhinged, but almost kind of like a Britney Spears type of move, like using it as a way to prove she's in control of herself and no one else is. Bailey surprisingly looked remorseful while watching this. EO was completely freaked out. They sold it extremely well for Shotzi. Now, this was easily the most interesting thing that Shotzi has done on the main roster, and it's not without meaning either. Her sister, Sean, is battling liver cancer, and Shotzi shaved her head as a public show of support, like in solidarity with her. So not only is it great that WWE is finally utilizing Shotzi and giving her something to chew on creatively, it's super sweet and meaningful that she's doing this on national TV for her sister. Hopefully the gimmick gets over because she is super talented and she's been way underused. And hopefully her sister, of course, has a full recovery when all is said and done. And giving even extra to Shotzi this week, she also got engaged. So a lot happening in her life. This is maybe like the easiest good I've ever given on the show because it was touching and sweet and it also got her over. It was awesome. Yeah, terrific. Congrats to Shotzi on on the engagement. Um, It's good that she's got something going here. It's unfortunate, you know, what the circumstances may be, but I'm also glad they're not leaning into that on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to do that. So there's a delicate line to balance here, but we all know Shotzi is incredibly talented. So anytime she gets an opportunity to show that, it's going to be a good. Now, we should also mention here, and I, I briefly touched on this earlier, there are three, possibly four, if you include Bailey and EO, women's storylines ongoing right now that do not directly revolve around a title. You have Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, and Zoe Stark. You have Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, both of those on Raw. Now you have Shotzi Bailey on SmackDown. And again, Bailey EO, you could make an argument there's a story there being that's being told there that doesn't involve the title, even though the briefcase is somewhat related. We mentioned last week how it seemed like Triple H was finally doing what we hoped post-WrestleMania and actually developing the women's division. This is even more proof of that. We need to see it all continue past SummerSlam, but these are major steps in the right direction. And if they can just get away from the stupid three-minute matches that don't happen all the time, but happen frequently enough, if they could just get past that, then I think our tone on the women's division would be, man, we asked them to do something. We said this was a flaw in the game's booking, and they're fixing it. It feels at least to me like coming into SummerSlam, they're fixing it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You just, you laid it all out, all the storylines, all the possible matches that don't involve the title. We basically have to shoehorn something in for one of the champions to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, who's doing great in Judgment Day. So like, yeah, no, it's it's markedly improved over the last couple of months, without a doubt. 
versus like the almost zero build to the WrestleMania women's title matches. That was super, super frustrating. Uh, we should also note that Bailey, it seems over the weekend, injured her knee during a WWE live event. It was non-contact, which for Chris and I uh, watching sports, we always, that leads us to think ACL, you know, or uh, some type of ligament in the knee or leg. So she was getting scans. There's no update as far as I'm aware. Uh, we'll obviously see what happens if she shows up Friday on SmackDown. You know, if it's a twisted ankle or a high ankle sprain or a knee sprain or something like that, you know, chances are she could be in a brace and still be on TV. Torn ACL though, I don't think they would do that. It would be very difficult to see her lumbering around. So obviously we wish the best for Bailey. It looked like it was the same knee that she injured in 2021 that kept her out for nine months before she returned, ironically at SummerSlam with damage control when they actually did that. Obviously, uh, Dakota Kai is already out with a torn ACL. So not a great situation. Um, wish her the best. And, you know, any updates that we get, of course, we'll share on Twitter at Getting Overcast and here on the podcast. Yeah, just hope Bailey's okay. Just We don't know yet, so we'll see. Right, we don't know. Uh, we got Miz TV over on Raw with Becky Lynch as the guest. She It started with Miz putting himself over for beating Champa and playing in a charity golf event. He tried cheap heat with like a Trey Young line, but... It was only moderately successful. The crowd didn't really buy into it. Miz called Lynch out for losing a lot recently, so she went ballistic on him. She threw two chairs out of the ring, screamed in his face that she hadn't lost a step, and hey, just bring out Trish Stratus and Zoe Stark and let's get this over with. So the heels came out. Becky immediately demanded a rematch. They denied because they have both beaten her in singles, which is true. They said they're ready to move on, but they just want her to say, thank you, Trish. Lynch said that she's wrestled longer and accomplished more in WWE than Stratus, and the only way Trish could actually prove that she's the GOAT is to beat her one-on-one. -on -one. Trish took the bait. She demanded Becky beat Zoe to get to her. She also demanded that if Becky loses, she get on her knees and say, thank you, Trish, and get it tattooed across her chest. The heels attacked, but Becky got up on them. She first knocked off Trish's mask, then she put it on and headbutted Zoe. This was a marginal segment. It just shouldn't have been marginal. It should have been better. Something about it just didn't totally click for me. But the end of it with Trish's demands, like outside of beating Zoe and having her say, thank you, Trish, which fine, like getting it tattooed across her chest and like, it was just clunky. I, I was very surprising that this didn't hit better for me. I'm giving it a good because it really wasn't that bad, but both of them have done better head to head and surely will do better in the next couple of weeks. Not many of the promo segments. I've really enjoyed this feud. Like the promo segments in general. Yeah, you haven't liked most of them. Yeah. Have not really hit. And this is another one. The crowd was definitely not there either. I, I don't know if just cadences were off and different things they were saying. They kind of interrupted each other a little bit. It was just, it was a bit weird. But ultimately, like, you could tell what they were going for and they got there. I like the idea of, hey, the heels beat you, but they're not satisfied. They want to embarrass you. And so that's why it's going to keep going. Like, that's, that's fine. You know, so. I give it a light, light good. Just a lot of because of the Miz and the way things worked around there. They mm -hmm. they played off that really well. Um, but uh, yeah, wasn't all there. It wasn't all there. Yeah, you're right. And I'm excited for their rematch though at SummerSlam because their first one was good um, and mm -hmm. I like the finish to it. So Becky kind of getting over here. By the way, let's not like forget what is happening with Becky Lynch. There were complaints that Becky's been misused ever since she was a heel with Bianca Belair, which I thought was successful, but people didn't like. And then she didn't have a lot to sink her teeth into because they didn't want her to win the title for a while. She is in the process. I don't know if people are realizing this of getting built back up 
into the number one, number two women star in the company. I mean, she still is that, but I'm, ter- I'm talking about in terms of like, in terms of her involvement in segments, winning the title, all that type of stuff. They're purposely keeping her apart from Rhea Ripley. I have to believe the plan is Lynch, Ripley for the title at WrestleMania 40 with Becky going over. And that will be huge if that's what they actually do. I yeah. do hope that's what they do. I'm also curious if Becky has like an Adidas deal or something like that. Cause last two weeks she's worn these Adidas getups with, you know, showing her abs and everything really interesting look, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I, they have an Adidas deal too. I was actually going to mention that. I saw her get criticism for what she wore last night. Cause it looked like pajamas. I, look, I, I'm not talking about it in this way, even though I certainly could look good, but she's got me saying, Hey, now. But just from a fashion standpoint, I thought she looked fantastic last year. I love the pajama look. I saw people criticizing it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Did you have any any opinion on it one way or another? The the pants were a bit baggy, especially when the top was not baggy. Uh, it was it was a two weeks ago or last week. It was a track suit. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, was, it was a little bit tighter. So um, I, I didn't think of it at the time, but I, I can I can see it. But that's mostly the pants, not the top. OK, I just I thought the whole thing looked real. I thought she looked great and I thought the whole thing looked cool. So I was down for it. Uh, We had Gunther against Matt Riddle in a non-title match. The stipulation here was that Imperium was barred from ringside. The rematch was explained further with commentary saying Riddle was healed up from his ankle injury and wanted another shot. I appreciated that because I was ready to actually criticize this even happening in the first place. Why did he have a title match, lose, and then get a non-title match? And why did they get barred from ringside when they didn't interfere in their first match? It didn't make sense, but the way they explained it, I give them credit, they made it make sense. This was fire from the opening bell. There was a great exchange of chops and chest kicks. Riddle basically hit like two Kamigoyes in Kinshasa, but Gunther got knees up on Floating Bro. He had a shotgun dropkick and the powerbomb for the one, two, three in eight minutes. My problem with the wrestling was they were on fire and then all of a sudden they just did the finish. This was an eight minute match that should have gone 18 minutes. They were banging and clanging, clanging and banging actually is the phrase. They were clanging and banging in this ring and... They just weren't given the time that they deserved to put on a fantastic match. After the bell, Gunther stood on the announce table and put himself over on the mic to jeers. He said Riddle is done and he has no problem running through Drew McIntyre as he continues to build his legacy with the Intercontinental title. I figured them rematching this would result in more time, but again, it only got like 15 or 20 seconds extra, including a commercial break, which meant less time that we actually saw them in the ring together. So now they fought twice and both times They were great for what we saw, only to leave us wanting more. It felt like there was proverbial meat left on the bone. Still, though, we got something special here. (laughs) Big meaty man slapping meat. (laughs) And it was, (laughs) I cut Biggie off, I'm sorry. And it was definitely a good segment, no question about it. Yeah, it it was good. My my biggest takeaway is, though, that like Riddle is, Riddle's cool way way off man i know you wanted more out of this but i was like i don't think it needs to be more than this Mm -hmm. riddle's music hits you get a big roar and then it immediately cuts off seemed pretty clear to me that that was piped in and then it's like dead silent as he's doing his entrance like not getting much reaction to what he's doing riddle's just treading water right now not doing much i was fine with gunther beating him in a shortish match because uh I just I didn't care to see any more of it and we didn't get it. So I don't know if Riddle is going to need a, a gimmick change or something, but he's just doesn't have much going on and people aren't super into him. So I don't know what his future is, but uh, that was my takeaway. I think you would have cared to see more of it if they had the time to tell a match story that got you into it because they're great wrestlers. 
They didn't give you the right, time for that. There's, there's nothing about Riddle right now that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's fine. You not being interested in him, I can't tell you otherwise. But, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're putting him on a losing streak and he's going down and he loses, like, to someone that he shouldn't lose to coming up soon. And then Randy Orton comes back and all of a sudden RK Bro is there. But, you know, from what I understand, Randy's on his way back. I know his father, Bob Orton, came out and said that he wasn't sure if he was going to wrestle again and so on and so forth. I keep hearing otherwise. I've said it on our... Um, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Obviously, you can become an official getting overhead for only $5 a month. We'll subscribe, get our news post, bonus audio, all that. I've said it on there for multiple weeks. I'm told he's on his way back. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be with Riddle, but it would make sense if he starts going through struggles in the ring and lacking success and Randy Orton comes back and picks him up and they reform that team. That would certainly work from a storyline standpoint. Uh, let's keep going here. The Street Profits were looking dapper in the parking lot on SmackDown, waiting for someone to emerge from a stretch limousine. Turns out it was Bobby Lashley who exited, dapped them up and held open the door so they could get inside and talk some business. Now we recently spoke here about the profits kind of disappearing from relevance. And it is something I asked them about in our interview, which comes out in a couple of weeks. That interview just happens to be under an embargo. So by the time it actually airs, maybe the question I asked them won't be relevant anymore because we'll get the answer on screen. But beyond that, We've spoken about the Prophets and Lashley linking when they were all together on Raw. So there's three directions they can go. The first is Lashley just advising them. They change their gimmicks a little bit. They move on. The second is doing something brand new with these three guys, starting fresh as a group. The Almighty Prophets, something like that. The third option is fully resurfacing her business because Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, they're free agents and they're not being used right now. That might be a little confusing with two tag teams in one faction. So maybe like it's just Cedric or maybe they even take someone else like Cameron Grimes and they bring him over and they just become a foursome with a main event or a mid Carter and a tag team. Either way, the profits need to be totally refreshed. Just like when the Usos dropped the face paint and they moved into the Uso penitentiary phase of their careers, the profits need a refresh just like that. Their theme is fire but the solo cups and their gear, it all needs to go. It's past its prime. They're way better than being saddled with that type of gimmick at this point. Not only was this obviously good, Chris, but it's obviously intriguing. And I badly want to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, I, I'm very curious. I'm glad to see Bobby Lashley back. I'm very interested to see what they do. Uh, to your Hurt Business point, we're not just saying that to group all the black guys together <laughs> in, in a group and Correct. making Cameron Grimes their own heart. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's, that wasn't the point of that. Yeah. That's no. not the idea. No. Um, just coincidence, but, uh, I'm yeah. not the one I, who had the profits waiting for Bobby Lashley in the parking lot. That wasn't yes, me. Right. <laughs> I didn't so, do that. You know, so I don't know, but you know, we haven't had profits be heels before. So I'm just don't really know what to say other than I'm super interested. We'll it, see. It doesn't even have to be heels. It can be, it can be heels. It can be serious baby faces, tweeners. I mean, there's so many different directions that I would love, honestly, if Lashley reformed her business, but just started completely fresh. Like they get the profits, but then pulls people that we wouldn't expect and brings them in, maybe even adds women to the group. We talk about that. How it's so cool that factions in WWE right now, many of them, not all of them, have the female element, Judgment Day and LWO being obvious examples of it. I wish more had that. And if Lashley's back and he's like, look, I want to create a faction and I want to go up against the bloodline. Man, it'd be cool if he just, you know, pulled in some really interesting people and kind of filled the the dominant void that Bloodline has left on SmackDown because they don't really dominate the show anymore. They're in their own silo. 
And there is a spot for a new faction, be it a remixed hurt business, be it almighty profits, be it something else. There is a, a vacuum, a power vacuum on the show that they could fill. And that would be really cool. All right, moving back to Raw, Alpha Academy fought Viking Raiders in a Viking rules match. Titus O'Neil joined for commentary with, I guess the idea being he's really good on commentary during the chaos matches, like the one we got at WrestleMania. And that was true because he was great again in this match. <laughs> uh, this had the full ship set up. You remember they did the Viking rules with uh, New Day previously. They had smoke, shields. They had waves on the LED boards. It was the whole setup. And it was also tornado rules, falls count anywhere. Academy botched whatever the first move was that they were trying to do with Otis throwing Gable into nothing. Ivar got powerbombed into Otis, nailing him in the shoulder. They did a Dudley Boys get the tables homage. Ivar squashed Otis into the side of the ship, but Otis then caught Ivar springboarding off the ropes. He caught him cold midair for a slam. Ivar hit a moonsault on Otis, but Gable broke the fall with a moonsault of his own, then hit the high effort German suplex for a broken fall. The fans went from kind of quiet at the start to on fire at this point. Valhalla broke a fall with Maxine Dupree hitting a flying crossbody. Gable grabbed the varsity jacket and put it back on Maxine only for Valhalla to pick up Maxine and spear her ass through a fucking table. The Raiders then rammed Gable into a pair of shields in the corner. Then Otis got a sick hot tag equivalent with a fucking forward roll, which popped the crowd. A forward roll popped the crowd in this match. Then he did a lifted choke powerbomb and he laid out both Raiders. He got on the top rope. Valhalla slapped him while he was on the top rope and that allowed the Raiders to pick him off with a double powerbomb off the top rope to get the heel victory. Chris, you want your five-star matches. You want your 30-minute classics. Bump that. Big meaty <laughs> man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's what we got. We got four big meaty men. I don't care what size Gable technically is. We got four big meaty men bumping meat in this match. Four big men slapping meat equals excitement. The guys bumped meat. It was straight up outstanding entertainment. Let me repeat. Maxine Dupree took a fucking spear through a table. Titus was great on commentary. Did the Raiders need to win? I mean... The reaction to the faces leaving on top would have been enormous. Huge missed opportunity as far as I'm concerned. I think a bigger missed opportunity than the whole deal with Champa last week. The Raiders are so knocked down, they could have taken the L, regrouped in a month, and been fine. My guess is that they won because they're going to challenge KO and Sammy for the titles, and that's going to be their next feud. And look, KO losing his mind about feuding with a couple guys who are pretending to be Vikings, that's going to be fun. But a win here would have put Academy on track to be insanely over. Think about in AEW, what happened with the acclaimed against, you know, Swerve and Keith Lee, Swerve in our glory, and how that just set a course for them to be insanely over in AEW. The same thing could have happened here with the Academy. They didn't do it. The crowd told you in the moment they wanted Alpha Academy. They needed Alpha Academy to win. That does not change the fact that this was an outstanding match and an outstanding segment. If we're getting technical, I guess 3.75 stars, B plus, four slabs of beef, but five-star entertainment. Chris, you could not help but smile watching this match. It was good. Also, it was a Vikings rules match, so you, the Vikings win. Like that, right. that makes sense, too. Right. You, you right. put them in their match, you want them to win. That's fair. Um, this, you know, we, we have now fully transitioned away from, oh, I missed the, 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 the maximum models. Like, you can tell over the last month, like, 
everybody's fully bought into what they're doing. And, and so I, I think that's great. This was so good from the very beginning when they show you the camera angle from behind the front of the ship and the waves on the, on the big entrance board looked really cool. They come out and Alpha Academy comes out and they get on the boat thing to do their entrance. Maxine goes in front of the boat and leans up on it like a, like a mermaid, like, like you see in the front of like pirate ships back in the day. Like it's such a little thing there that was so good. Whoever thought of that, just brilliant. Uh, Viking Raiders do their entrance. And Titus O'Neil says, like, Valhalla serves 100 gods or something. I only serve one Jesus Christ. <laughs> I burst out laughing. Wait, Titus said, said that? Yeah. I missed that. During, That's hysterical. During the entrance. He's killing it from the beginning. I missed that part Ma somehow, yeah. Match is a lot of fun. Otis doing the get the table. That bit where Otis catches him, does a slam, and he's running around, like, just making hay. That's the guy that won the Money in the Bank briefcase from like the very beginning of this podcast when he won it. He I never it should have won it, even though he when was I thought, super I, over. I, I thought matter. it could have been a good thing, but they handled it poorly. You thought it was terrible. Terrible. That was the guy right there who can do a lot of different things. And you could you could see him do that. And you're like, oh, this guy could be really elevated to a singles title. But, you know, he, he is where he is now. But pe people love him. People love that. Match was a lot of fun. I don't these three obviously aren't going anywhere. They're on TV every week. Uh, they're they're shining. Hopefully, we just move them into something else. Put them with Pretty Deadly, you know. After this, like that'd be a lot of fun. So curious where it goes next. But um, I think you're right. Viking Raiders potentially for the tag titles. If you're going to have a tag title match on SummerSlam, I'm sorry, SmackDown, SummerSlam probably. Um, so yeah, this was great. The thank you thing is over. Like they're just every week. People are getting more and more into them, and that's exactly what you want from like a mid-card thing like this. Yeah, really, again, the Raiders winning, if they're challenging for the titles, that's the reason why you have them win. Also, before we move on, because this is something that I'm just seeing now while we're taping the show, I mentioned the Bailey injury from the WWE live event over the weekend. There were rumors and murmurs coming out of Raw on Monday night that, <laughs> believe it or not, Liv Morgan may have actually gotten injured when she clotheslined uh, Rhea Ripley over the barricade in that main event segment. There was talk that trainers were looking at her wrist uh, ringside as all that was happening. Pictures are emerging uh, from Monday slash Tuesday, I guess her at an airport or traveling, whatever, of Liv Morgan in a sling. So whether that is for a sprain, just to kind of keep it from moving around, she hurt her elbow, she hurt her arm, her wrist, whatever, or it's something worse. I don't see a cast in the photo that I'm looking at, but I do see her arm in a sling. So certainly... Not ideal. It does seem like she may have gotten hurt to at least some degree, and we will find out um, what kind of injury that might be and whether that affects plans for SummerSlam. So unfortunate. Hope she's okay. Uh, but of course, we can move on and talk about everything else that happened this week. Still a couple more segments to discuss. Uh, Sheamus and Rich Holland fought pretty deadly on SmackDown. The Brawling Brutes rallied themselves in gorilla position before the match. I also believe they added lyrics to this remixed pretty deadly entrance it's better than I thought. I still don't like it as much as their old theme. Uh, Holland hit a double backdrop and the Brutes did 25 beats. The faces dominated this match. Sheamus hit Kit Wilson with a bro kick, but got dumped outside as Elton Prince removed the turnbuckle pad and dodged Holland throat first into it. He followed with a flying leg drop for the one, two, three to steal the victory for the heels. This was a perfect heel win. The faces looked dominant, but the heels outsmarted them and took advantage of a long-term storyline injury to get the win. Plus, it got a ton of time and pretty deadly. They continue to look smart with all of these creative finishes. This was good. 
it was good. I really liked that entrance. Um, they alluded to it being like ABBA style. Uh, it's fully ABBA. It's kind of getting, it's it's getting more and more like <laughs> yeah. ridiculous every week, it seems like. But I'm digging it. And match was good. I love these guys. I just realized I said, hey, Pretty Deadly versus Alpha Academy. They're on different shows. Right. Know, good point. Pr- Pretty Deadly is, is doing great. And, you know, you, you throw them. You know, if LA Knight wins and he's going to be going up against Austin Theory, get LA Knight in the ring with Pretty Deadly for a segment or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be a lot of fun. So we'll see. I would love to see uh, Survivor Series traditional 10-man match. Pretty Deadly on one side, Alpha Academy on the other side as part of, you know, the match that they're building. That would be fantastic. You're right. They need to interact. They'd be really funny together. Also, I want to give a shout out to our long-term follower, Big Blaine. He pointed out to me weeks ago that WWE was doing something with Holland selling that neck injury long-term, the throat injury. I initially missed that at Money in the Bank. Now it's obvious that's what they're doing with him. So it's kind of cool that he is getting these like excused losses because of this throat thing. I should also note before we move on, um, Holland got like dragged on Twitter because I forget which guy, Wilson or Prince, seems like they hurt their shoulder uh, during that double backdrop spot, which was, or maybe it wasn't even during that spot. It might've been a different spot. And one of the guys just landed on themselves wrong. But you know, people are brutal on social media and Holland, of course, was working with Big E. They did the overhead belly to belly suplex when Big E broke his neck. So he was getting shit. He felt that he needed to tweet. Um, hey, look, this wasn't even my fault. I, this had nothing to do with me at all. It was just from landing wrong. It was a freak accident. Um, the, the pretty deadly, I forgot who it was again, Wilson or Prince, but he's going to be fine. It's not an issue. Um, but Holland, people were so brutal replying to him standing up for himself that he deleted his Twitter account. So like, God, wrestling is so toxic online. Folks, just be better. That's really pretty much the point of me bringing it up. That's all. I, I missed that whole thing. So yeah, that, uh, just be that better. Sucks. Be be better people. Uh, Nikki Cross fought Shayna Baszler. Shayna won with the Kirafuda clutch in less than 30 seconds. Ronda Rousey interrupted out of a suite saying the crowd goes mild, which was true. It did. Rousey shit on the indie track to wrestling saying she was so good. She ran through judo, MMA, and WWE succeeding and becoming a Hall of Famer no matter what she did. She called herself the greatest combat sports athlete of all time and Baszler a knockoff version of her. Baszler said that in the ring, she's a better version of Rousey. Security stopped Shayna from attacking through the crowd and Ronda said she would do her a favor and use her star power to get her booked on SummerSlam. This is so tough to grade. The match was ugly, not even bad. If you want to beat someone in 30 seconds, beat a jobber, not a legitimate member of your roster and a former women's champion. I know they're doing the thing where Nikki loses. She's trying to find friends. You don't beat her in 30 seconds. She's way better than that. So that was ugly, the match. The segment, tough one. I guess it's a light good. Rousey was awful again as a promo after having a couple good ones like the prior month or so. She was improving on the mic, it seemed. It was just so overly scripted and recited. Baszler was solid. The content version of it, the the content portion of it, I should say, was spot on. As we discussed earlier, this is just so rushed as a storyline because of all the circumstances. It's tough to really care about it that much. But yeah, I guess I'll go light good overall for the promo segment. I mean, not only is the storyline is as rushed as Rhonda was getting through that promo. Right. Like, God, she just like ran. I was she so rambles. Oh, so just and she'd gotten a lot better with Shane and next to her as the two of them were together. Maybe that's just what it was. I think Shana being with her allowed her to slow down because she had to wait for her time and then she had to yeah. stop. That way Shana could speak. And now when she's on her own. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, in terms of Nikki losing in 30 seconds, like 
It's fine. Nikki's never on TV. She's so far at the bottom of the total pole right now. She's it's a former fine. women's champion and a former women's tag team champion. She shouldn't well, be losing in 30 seconds. the last time she was on TV before this? Like, I don't know. A couple know. weeks like, ago. It's fine. She can pop up in a couple weeks. No one's going to remember this. It was it was, it was, was fine. It, it was, what was weird was doing the Shayna entrance, going to commercial, long break. We finally come back, and then we get a 30-second match. That was kind of annoying. Um, and then the, ultimately, look, Shayna was getting good cheers for her promo. And Shayna is showing herself to be stunningly a great promo, like out of nowhere in this storyline. And so like that ultimately advanced. Shayna looks like more of a babyface again coming out of the segment. So I'm going to give it a light good just for Shayna. But everything else is kind of a mess. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Ricochet backstage at Raw was asked about Logan Paul. He said Logan's a joke in the wrestling world, as he proved last week. Then he made a challenge to fight. I thought he made a challenge to fight him next week on Raw. This is the second time where Ricochet's, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure said, I want to fight you or whatever. Logan answered yes on social media, but then back on TV later on Raw, it was billed as another face-to-face. Why do we need two face-to-face segments in three weeks with these guys? They want to fight each other. Fight, book the match. Like what else is there to do? Ricochet probably should have wrestled on Raw and defeated someone to up his profile. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Apollo Crews, do you remember him? He's on the Raw roster. Or J.D. McDonough, remember him? He's on the Raw roster. What about Riddick Moss? Remember him? He's on the Raw roster. Let Ricochet have a match, win, and then cut a promo after the match. Logan, I'm not done with you. I want you here next week on Raw. Done. Instead, it's just like a meandering promo that again, I'm pretty sure he challenged him to a fight. And instead, he's coming in for a face-to-face because clearly, I, I forgot to mention this when I was running down the SummerSlam card earlier. Ricochet, Logan Paul, if you do it, it's going to be on SummerSlam. Credit where it's due to Ricochet. It was the second straight week where his promo was good enough on the mic. So no hate there. Just let the guy win some matches. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I assume next week will be we set we set the match, I I assume. Um, Because, again, there's a lot of time between Money in the Bank and SummerSlam. These things have been kind of dragged out, especially on Raw. But you're right. Give Ricochet some wins going into this because he's we don't think he's going to win. He's not going to beat Logan Paul. He shouldn't so, beat Logan Paul. No. So let's let's get him some wins before then. Kind of uh, that was such a great segment last week. I was surprised this was the only follow up we got. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then Shinsuke Nakamura fought Bronson Reed. Shin ate a jumping Death Valley driver. Nakamura interrupted Tsunami with a pump knee on the top rope and Reed countered Kinshasa with a crossbody. Then Champa ran in and attacked Reed, forcing the immediate DQ after about seven minutes. So Shinsuke booted him in the face out of frustration. Backstage, Nakamura said and then screamed, he's tired of everyone getting involved in his business. This didn't accomplish that much for me. The DQ didn't come at any notable juncture in the match that made sense. There was no continuation of the Miz storyline or explanation for Reed helping Miz. So Champa returned. He did beat Miz briefly in that return match, but then he lost to Miz in a like street fight type of match that he should have won. And now he completely moves away from Miz and then to Reed and maybe also to Nakamura, perhaps. It was good that Shinsuke stood up for himself. Unlike Raquel, I think it was a couple of weeks ago where Becky got that TQ and Raquel just like shrugged. So I like that Shinsuke stood up for himself, but still like it was also an unnecessary rematch. I like all three of these guys very much but I got to go bad here. No one is benefiting from it. I don't really understand the point of what they're doing. And I just named for you Apollo Crews, JD McDonough, Riddick Moss. There's other people on this show, on this roster that you can use in matches and segments like this, use them. So I am going bad here. 
I'm going bad. It feels like they just like pulled Ricochet out of this and threw in Champa now. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so it is what it is. My my only other thought is, did you notice he Bronson Reed now has a nickname? They're they're giving more of these like quote nicknames to people. We've gotten into Dirty Dom right. more recently. Seth freaking Rollins. Have, yeah. Well, that's been a while. But, and yeah, now yeah. we have Big Bronson Reed. And you know what? I kind of like it. The only reason I don't like it is because we have Big E. Sort of. Yes. I mean, we do. I mean, let's let's keep the hope out, of course, that he's going to get back. So I don't love it for that reason. I don't hate it. But like. And AEW, I think Big Bill is a ridiculous name. I don't think mm-hmm. Big Bronson is any better. No, but Big Bronson Reed. Like, like you're not, you don't say Stone Cold Steve. You say Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's always going to be Big Bronson Reed. And I kind of like, it comes out pretty well. I, I, it's a little, I, it's I thought I would hate this. Yeah. And honestly, I like quote nicknames. Like, we need to get back to stuff like that. And, and not the freaking, I think the freaking stuff. Well, you mean like, you like, mean like Macho Man Randy Savage, Million Dollar yeah. Man, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so like it just seems like last couple of weeks they're adding more of these. And I just, I noticed this one for Bronson Reed this week. Yeah, I definitely, it's not bad. And he is big. It, it's weird. WWE has so many big dudes, but somehow, even though Bronson Reed isn't the tallest out of any of them, he does stand out as like a really big freaking guy. Just the way they shoot him with the camera, the theme. By the way, he has a great entrance theme. Like it's very underrated. It has lyrics and it comes off like a total badass when he comes out. Very underrated. Uh, speaking of that, Chris, that actually allows me to transition to our final segment on today's show, The Last Word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. And this, of course, has to do with entrance themes. It comes from Sweet Lou at Lewis underscore Veraldi. He wants to know what our top five wrestling themes are for the gym. Now, I'm going to let you go first because I know you have an entire list of five. But before you go, I just want to note when I work out, I don't listen to wrestling themes. I just listen to regular music or other things that pump me up. So for me to compile a list of five was difficult. I have three. I'm going to try to think of two more while you're talking. But wrestling themes in the gym are not something I normally do. But Chris, what is your list of your five best wrestling themes for the gym? Number five. Rhea Ripley's current theme, Demon in Your Dreams by, by Motionless in White, which is like a hard rock mm-hmm. kind of band. Um, it, it's it, it's it's a bit short. I found an extent literally last week. I found an extended version of it on YouTube and I've been listening to it a lot more. The 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 verses and everything. Big fan of it. Gets me fired up. L.A. Knight's theme. Absolutely on this list. The L.A. Knight. Boom. It's it's, it's kind of like the California love is kind of what they're going for. Love it. Big fan. It, it gets me, it gets me uh, pumped up. MJF's theme. I've loved this one since the beginning, the way it just, it's got that. Really for the gym? Gets, yeah. It just kind of gets, gets me going. Interesting. Like, like okay. it's not like, it like it's just, it kind of gets me in the right uh, mindset. The game by motorhead for triple H, arguably the greatest entrance theme of all time. Arguably uh, certainly for sure. up there in my book. Um, always gets me excited. I used to listen to this before playing hockey games and stuff like that. And clear number one, obvious number one, has been the case for many years. Roman Reigns theme. That thing just gets me. I I, I listen to that thing like five times in a row. Like mm-hmm. Legit. I 
gets me absolutely always gets me in the right mood, ready to go. That is my five. I actually think I have a better list than you, despite the fact that I don't listen to wrestling themes when I work out. So people will tell me. Now, let me ask you this. Is it a DQ to use real music that is used as wrestling themes? I mean, I say no. I think it's fine. You think it's fine. All right. So let me first give you um, four that are pure wrestling themes. Well, three that are pure wrestling themes. Uh, Mark Henry, somebody's going to get it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's my number one. Not even a question. Great one. Uh, Batista, Walk Alone. Huge. I mean, if you've ever seen uh, Xavier Woods um, get amped up to this song and you think that can't be a workout song, you're kidding yourself. Uh, Triple H, The Game would be number three on my list. I would say an alternate, though, the King of Kings version of his theme is also really freaking good. And I would put that on there. So those are my three that are like pure wrestling. The fourth, which you could say is wrestling, but it's also a real song. Uh, Edge, Metalingus, I think is great. Mm -hmm. And then the two that are truly real songs, and this, I guess, technically would be six total, but the two that would be truly real songs, um, but I would definitely listen to Workout and have listened to, to Workout. Uh, Rob Van Dam's ECW theme, which is Walk by Pantera. That's great. Uh, Even the one, one of a kind in WWE is not bad, but Walk is better. And CM Punk, Cult of Personality, just Cult of Personality. Uh, great freaking song, great to work out to. So um, that's, I guess, technically six, but my real three that I had was Batista, Triple H, and Mark Henry. Mark Henry for me is the number one, not even question. It's a good list. M- mine is a lot more uh, a lot more recency bias. Uh, Definitely. There, I think I've, I've been listening to LA Knight and Rhea Ripley and Roman Reigns a lot uh, recently. All right, fair enough. Well, folks, that was the last word, which means we have reached the conclusion. This edition, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Thursday this week with your next AEW and NXT episode. And with AEW, there's an absolute ton to discuss because not only do we have Dynamite, Collision, and Rampage, we also have Battle of the Belts and Collision. Uh, There was a match, FTR, against Juice Robinson and Jay White, which some are saying it's one of the best tag team matches ever on television. So the Silver King is excited to have come off vacation. I'm going to watch that at some point, obviously, before we tape the show. But AEW and NXT, all of that, coming on Thursday. And then next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back with your next WWE edition of the show on Tuesday. On the way out, a few more reminders, of course. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about the five. So be sure to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And on Apple, if you become our 400th written review or beyond, of course, We will read that review live right here on the show. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do too, because if you head to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, you can become an official getting overhead. Only five bucks a month. You get bonus audio, you get news posts, and you get to support the show. Again, five bucks a month. You can also buy a yearly subscription there as well. And please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and all of that good stuff. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, on this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is now time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.